welcome to the Everyday Board Game Podcast with your hosts, Daniel and Daniel. Good morning, Daniel. It is not morning. Quit lying to the people. <laughs> it is the afternoon. It is. It's the evening. It, it's really. the evening, it's, actually. It really is. It's seven, almost 7.30 p.m. Yeah. But no, this is this is our second episode now in your casa with your beautiful selection of games behind us. And a random box full of stuff on the bottom. And a random, I mean, guess where you shop? You're not a promoter of sm- local businesses. No. You, no, hate, you hate commerce. It's uh, some of my computer stuff that I had set up for my other office that I haven't put up over here. So, yeah. But I didn't realize it was in the background. Let's let's see if it actually shows up. In the pipe? It will. <laughs> yeah. What we see on this screen is what, what the viewers are yep, seeing. Yeah, there home. it is. So that... This is this episode not brought to you by Amazon. <laughs> brought to you by all these wonderful games that are behind us. Yeah, even though we're streaming uh, streaming on Twitch, which yeah. is brought to you by Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> brought to you by Amazon. But especially brought to you by Alea Games. No, no, there's a queen. All of the right game, there. none of the art. <laughs> anyway. No, there's a queen game under all of them just because it's the biggest one. That's all that's my yeah. Feld shelf right there, except that's for Tiki Topple. Yeah, Tiki Topple was not made by Feld as far as I know. No, it just I needed a space for it, so it fit with that. Yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. And you don't have any other Felds, do you? Are those the only ones? Yeah, those are the only ones I have on me right now. There's other ones that I want to buy, I just haven't pulled the trigger for it. Um I am gonna be getting the other ones. Did you get the notification for uh, the city collection. I did. I did. Little sad, but I understand the situation. Um, yep. And then the fact that the other two aren't even going to go till September, and we're not going to get all four of them at one time. So it's just like I thought I would be able to get into Hamburg and Amsterdam before I even back the other two. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so remind me. I briefly looked through it. Tell me what actually they said. I mean, is it that they want to? <coughs> That they're going to produce all of them at the same time. Yeah, so, so there, there's there been a bit of delay with their shipping. So they've been having issues with trying to get wood and stuff like that for yep. the upgraded components and the acrylic. And so it's just putting pushing things back. So we should have already had the games. They should have been starting to ship now in August. Well, more than likely, the two, the first two of the city collections from the Seth von Feld Queen games probably won't hit us till, um, I think it said February or so. Um, of 2022 and it's going to be shipping with the other two so what they did was they already started mass producing New York and Rialto or not uh, New York and Marrakesh Rialto mm-hmm. is the um, New York is the new Rialto yeah. and so they started to print those at the same time they started printing the other two so all four will be shipped together okay well see you know I'm actually kind of looking forward to that then, you know, because I know I'm going to back the next one. Yeah, and they're they're saying something, they're going to send notifications or something like that, that if you back the other two and you don't want to pay the increased price that the going to happen with the ne- the new two new york and rialto then you can go ahead and fix it and pay the, the difference between the two or you can wait till the kickstarter starts for the new two uh, which again is new york and marrakesh in september i wonder what city game that they're going to re-implement like uh the what was that other stuff on feld that like the soccer one Oh. Like, I, <laughs> I have no clue. Uh, Brazil, maybe Madrid, yeah. Madrid, yeah, <laughs> maybe I mean, or it's just uh, Barcelona. They're a pretty big team too. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, they 
And Stefan Feld made a few different games. I remember a number of years ago, he announced that he was working on a miniatures game, like a war miniatures Yeah, I game. think in 2019 he was talking about yeah. that because he was talking about the expansions from Merlin that you can see right behind me. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he was talking about that. And then he also mentioned that he was working on a minis game. I think it was an interview at Essen 2019. Con- it was at a convention, definitely. Yeah, yeah so, oh, man. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to that. If there's one person who could do it, that, and that's make you it, interested in it, and make us interested in it. So, a quick spoiler, and and this will go into where I'm going to go with on the next topic on our uh, what you've been playing lately. Are you going to talk about that two player card game that you and I played? No, I did not put it on my list. We can mention speaking, it briefly. Speaking of designers that we like <laughs> making really strange games, I think we should briefly bring that up. Okay. Yeah, we used, we just played one of your games uh, that um, you kept trying to steal because you've been wanting to try it. And I've been wanting to try it because it's one of our favorite designers. And yeah, it's, and it's quite honestly like almost an insta buy. And it's called Pack of Heroes by Phil Walker Harding. And mind you, it's one of his earlier games. We yeah. looked it up, what, 2014 or something like that? 2014 was when it was released. Yeah, so, so almost... Seven years ago. Yeah. Which I guess isn't that long, depending on you know, what In board game it, life, actually, game, it quite yeah. is. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, it, it was fun. It was fine. It definitely didn't seem like it was his, though. It did and it didn't. Like, for a... Battle game, that's what basically what it was. It's a two, two-player two battle game. So think Magic the Gathering or Keyforge or something like that where you're just going back and forth playing cards and fighting each other. But the thing about it is for me is how simple it actually is once we got into it. All you do, you do is a movement in a 3x3 three three grid. You Then you do either bring out a hero or an action. And then you unstun if you had someone stunned. And then refresh. Basically, you draw up a card to until you have three, and that's it. Yeah, last person standing wins. Yeah, it, and it's in essence, it was, it was okay. I don't yeah, know. but you could tell it was like one of his earlier games. Now, yeah. now here's the thing: archaeology was one of his first games, and then he redesigned it and yes. for the new expedition and refined it and people really enjoy that one so i wonder if he would go back and maybe redesign this if someone else was like well it's phil walker harding let's see what you can do after you fix this it, if he redid pack of heroes would you buy it probably yeah, probably i struggle if i would i don't know if i would yet well, we never played the original Archaeology, but from sure. what I've heard about it, the, the new one is the much better, more streamlined game. Right. So if he did the same treatment that he did with Archaeology to Pack of Heroes, I'd probably end up backing it. Okay. Interesting. Well, yeah, then, but speaking of what we've been playing lately, <laughs> I mean, we went over that. Sorry, that was a tangent. Yeah. Daniel, what have you been playing lately? So I have four games on my list here that um, now I have to use a clipboard since we're all in one room for my show notes. And one of the games that I did want to talk about that I did get to the table. Now, I didn't get to play a complete game. And actually, three of these games weren't completed games. But I got the gist of it, so I wanted to talk about them. Okay. One of them, the first one I'm going to talk about, is Through the Ages. The most, or the, the 2015 one. You can see it right above me, right above Nations up there. It's the newest one that you can get out. It's a long, long game. So... The box says 120 hours. If it's your first play, even with the shorter game, it's going to take longer because you're going to be learning a lot of stuff. Um, we played maybe two hours. Didn't get to finish it because I had to go pick up or I had to go do something with the wife. I think it was like 6 o'clock and we needed to have dinner or something like that. It's fun. I really enjoyed it. I love Civ games. Um, 
I'm a big uh, Civilization fan from the computer system, that computer game. And between Nations and Through the Ages, I've played both of them now. I like both of them really well. Through the Ages is the longer, more meatier, chunkier of the two. And so if I want to play a shorter Civilization game and still get that feel, I pick Nations over uh, Through the Ages. But I think if I have the time and the commitment, I'd play Through the Ages. Um, there, there is a lot of moving parts. And I think the big problem for me with through the ages is i play a lot of the app i did end up getting the app when asthma bay was doing that big old big sale that they were doing for like phones and stuff like that the asthma day digital it takes care of all the finicky parts that you have to take care of in the board game so it goes my way quicker for one thing and there's a lot less that you have to worry about like uh the way you have to use the military and stuff like that in this one it's good though it, I just don't know how often I'll get it to the table for one, its length, and two, just the bit of a chore that it is because of all the little, there's, there's so many moving parts. You have your actions, and then these come out, and then you keep doing this and going through different eras. So you start in the Antiquity Age, which is A on the cards. Then you go into the Medieval Age, which is a, de a deck of cards that you have to go through. And once that's out, you move into the Second Age. Then the Third Age is the Final Age. And then finally, the Fourth Age basically is basically your final round, in a, in a sense. But no, I have a really good time with it. I really enjoyed it. I just, I don't know how often I'm going to hit the table, but I don't, I don't see myself getting rid of it either. Yeah. I mean, I'd be curious to try it. I, I like, uh, now imagine taking Through the Ages, hear me out on this. And redesigning it from the perspective of a co-op designer, and then turning it into a roll and write. Roll through the ages is really good. No, no, roll through the ages is really good, and it does give you that little bit of fill. Because I played uh, the one that you have with the, mm -hmm. the wood chunky piece on yep. there, for you could keep track of your scores and stuff. It's really good, but you're comparing it's not the same. No. It, it is nowhere near Machi the depth. Koro is more of a civilization so, game. Than, <laughs> yeah. than roll through the ages. Through the Ages is the board game equivalent of Sid Meier Civilization. Yeah. Other and that's saying something Sid because there, there is actual Sid Meier Civilizations. But right. from the iPhone, I haven't played the new one, so I have nothing about it. But I have seen and learned to play the first one. And it kind of gives you that Civ film. But through the Ages, if you go for, if you want that crunchy, militaristic, expanding in a sense, mm -hmm. uh, card play, and just, you know, feel like you're building an ancient civilization, uh, there's a new video game out called humankind and it does a lot of the stuff that through the ages kind of does where okay. you're going through antiquity ages and then you can make your leader something different based on ancient um leaders and time frames and stuff like that humankind does that civ uh, or uh, through the ages kind of does that too because your leader could be harambe or Hamar hammurabi or Julius Caesar, or Alexander the Great, and as you're going through the ages, you can end up getting, say, Sid Meier as a leader, or uh, I just had the expansion, they got Steve Jobs in there as a leader, too. And Bill Gates is another leader in there as well. I mean, not who I'd first pick, but, you know, sure, they, they were fine at leading their companies i i do like the fact that they put sid meyer in there because they're they are that, honestly saying this is where we got the idea to translate into a board game yeah okay so I it's mean, kind I'll... of a little easter egg there yeah it's uh just it's an homage uh, same reason why essence in pandemic it's a little e That's easter true. egg yep exactly okay I'll, I'll give you that my number four uh the one i want to talk about that i've been playing lately speaking of civilization games and really long games 
you and I play Juicy Fruit. <laughs> <laughs> it took us longer to read the rules than it did to, <laughs> actually, to actually play. play the game. It was, what, 20 minutes? Uh, so we started the game 9.35 and we're done by like 9.50 something. I think it was yeah. like 21 minutes in total. Yeah, it was incredibly fast. it took it, us because thir- we pulled it out at nine o'clock and mm-hmm. you're like okay i gotta do this and my wife uh, went to bed so i was like okay well just get this game out and then i'll get ready and stuff like that yeah. you you were still i told you that i was gonna kick you out of 10 you were still out of the house by 10 because yeah. how quick that game went and i was sitting there watching us read the rules and go through how to play it and it's just like this is going to be longer than I thought. Yep. And as we're putting out pieces and getting the board set up and all of the tiles being drawn from the back. But no, really, what Juicy Fruits is, is um, it's a standard set collection. I get different kinds of fruits traded in for ships that are worth victory points. But what makes it neat is that the victory points on the ships are covering up parts of your board. And your board is where you shift the tiles over. And that's how you get your resources. You start with a 5 by 5 grid. And then some of the spaces are covered up with the ships. Uh, I'm sorry, a 3x3. Three three. It can expand to a 5x5. Five five. Yeah, yeah, And then the ships themselves uh, block <laughs> the spaces. So if I mm-hmm. if I choose any one of my pieces, I move it as far as I want in a straight line. The number of spaces it does, it gives me that many resources. So if I move a plum two spaces, I can get two plums. Perfect. And then you trade those in and buy other things. Well, there's other tiles that give you different fruit or mm-hmm. a combination of fruit. Or, or bonuses. a choice of fruit plus a fruit and yeah. stuff like that. And there's ones that will let you trade in for victory points. Because everything you do effectively gets you victory points. Mm-hmm. But this one can all or these can also let you combo it and also triggers the end of the game even faster. And we also gotta let everybody know we just played with the basic rules. This was our first. There are yep. advanced rules that do a couple other tricks as well. Yeah, which we are gonna be playing oh, yeah. pretty soon. That was too simple, like <laughs> the basic mode, but man, did it it, 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 was, it was good. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I lo- love that little puzzle pieces. We played another game right before that, uh, or two games before, because we played Pack of Heroes right after, between the two. Uh, Fast Loss, uh, the Friedman Freeze racing mm-hmm. game, and we really enjoyed that, but we're not even talking about it other than me mentioning it now, because how much we enjoy Juicy Fruits. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, Juicy Fruits was amazing. And I didn't think it would be that good, but I saw the mechanism and I figured I would like this, how everybody has their own little puzzle oh. to solve. And when when you and I fit, when we queued the end of the game, you queued it, we're like, all right, and you beat me by a single point. We both looked up, we're like, I would almost play this again right now. Yeah, no, really if it wasn't it. for the fact that it was so late at night, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we would have played it again. Absolutely. But I do have to say, it's got... It, it, it's not a super expensive game. It was, what, 40 bucks, Something like that? 50 It was 40 50 something like that. It's a lot of components. Yeah, but amazing components. The yeah. cardboard's really nice. And the fruit, we're, when we're talking about the fruit, these are chunky fruit, uh, yeah. wood pieces. These things are massive. Yep. And but, so it, it's well produced. Uh, but then again, when you're getting a capstone game, that's what you're expecting from it. Yeah, exactly. Good production, good art. And yeah, it had a nice, fancy tropical theme. And a very interesting mechanism that I haven't seen too much in board games itself. No. Actually, I've never really seen that with the the sliding how and you get your resources through that. Mm-hmm. You're you're getting your resource and you're paying your resource. Yeah, that's fine. But the um, the sliding and stuff was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely cool. But yeah, that was my first one I wanted to talk about: Juicy Fruits. All right, moving on to my next game and my number three game that I'm going to talk about here 
is a game that we've talked about before, but I actually showed it to some friends of ours and I knew it would be a hit. I'm a big fan of small card games that can just pass some time, and we've talked about this one a lot, and that's Abandon All Artichokes. It went down like gangbusters. It was so good. They were like, oh, this is cute art. This is neat. And then, and then we were playing it. And it's like, okay. And then my wife was like, and you know my wife. She likes those heavier, thinky games. Like, Gloomhaven is one of her favorite games. Mm-hmm. And when she was playing it, she's like, okay, this is good. I like it. Because the whole point of the game is you're trying to get rid of your artichokes and draw up a hand of nothing but uh, other vegetables. And... It is so much fun. It plays pretty quickly. I think we finished in 20 minutes, and that's with me teaching the game. Mm-hmm. And it went down so well. It was nice. It was a nice little calming game before we started playing some heavier games. And so Abandon All Artichokes, that's a uh, uh, game right game. Uh, the, the only thing is it comes in a tin. And a, and like a oddly shaped one, too. Yeah, it's shaped like an artichoke. I actually have it in the, the office closet over here because yeah. I have nowhere else to put it. I keep my um card games in a photograph mm-hmm. case and this way i could just pull them out when i'm going to take a few and they're in the case like i'm going to be going on a trip hopefully in october we'll see how the way way everything's going right now who knows but um I, i'm just going to grab a few and throw them in my on um carry-on bag yep makes sense uh, next one I wanted to talk about was, uh, you brought it up briefly and I decided to actually talk Oh, about you it. did put it, okay. Yep, I did. I changed out for one of the, I was originally going to talk about City of Gears, but then I decided that this is one that I really want to talk about, Fast Loss, the one that you and I played. Okay. And the reason I wanted to talk about this so much is because you are notorious for not liking Freedom and Freeze games. He is one, one of One those... is because of your fault. We've talked about this right, before. Right, right. We've, we've told the story, but I mean, there... I think you already had that stigma going into Freedom and Freeze games, where I love his ideas. His his ideas are unique. They're refreshing. They don't always hit. You know, some games are a little wonky. Some aren't as fun. But when they do hit, like 504, it was okay. Like uh, so it, it was a cool idea. I've played, I think, this would have been the fourth or fifth Freedom and Freeze game. Power Grid, we've already talked about the issues there. Uh, Future Futuropia, or whatever it's called. Not a fan of it. I also played Fear, that little card yep. game. I did not like that one. And there was one other one. It was, I think it was another it, one of the was card it ones. The, um, Fine Sand. Fine That's Sand. what it was. Yeah. Yes. Wasn't a fan of that one either. You you might like. Um, there was a, there was a fresh fruit or something like that. I, I forget what it was, but you're making drinks. Yeah. And you're you're bouncing around. It's like a worker placement, but it does goes over a full storyline that adds mm-hmm. in cards as you're evolving the game so every time you play it it's like the next chapter in the in the series of games and it's so that's really neat um but that one's really fun yeah so i was very Able hesitant for, uh going into this one yeah very hesitant but you were you were keeping an open mind and so i brought it out and, I, and you knew how much i wanted to play it yeah and i said okay well i mean if you don't like it we'll put it away fine but let's give it a try and i like these mechanisms of just you're either drawing cards then you're moving along and you are not allowed to move your piece your sloth is lazy, and the idea <laughs> is you're trying sloth. to eat nine leaves that are throughout the board, eight of the nine leaves, and you can eat all of them if you are able to, but you're utilizing the animals that are on the board themselves and using movement cards to maneuver them around and carry your lazy butt to the <laughs> other trees, and some of them are just simple. Like The yeah. unicorn can go over almost any terrain. 
Yeah. And but you can only use one of the unicorn you can only cards. Use one unicorn card, where all the other animals you can use, you know, a two combination. Or more. Yeah. The eagle can fly you up to six bases across almost any terrain, but you have to use at least six movement of it. Yeah. Um, the ants, you're trying to position them in a straight line, and they don't carry you, but they can propel you to the end of the line. As if they carry you for one movement point. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. But my the favorite one, and I think you already know which one it is. Uh, elephant? Elephant, yes. <laughs> the elephant moves really slow. It minuses one from your total movement. And can't go in a lot of territory either. Yeah, and it only goes through a few territories. But when it stops, it throws you up to three spaces away. Which is hilarious. That's amazing. I also like the crocodile because, one, you get a plus one movement. I mean, you're stuck to, like, the river and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But I, I really enjoyed using the crocodile because it helped me get across a, across a lot of those rivers. Yeah. I know. I, I was using the donkey quite a bit. I don't think there was any animal that we didn't use. I know we used ants a lot. We both used so the many. eagle at least once. Mm-hmm. We both. Uh, I used the ants Definitely a couple used times. used donkey, elephant. And there was six total. So I'm sorry. I did use the unicorn once as well. Yeah. I used the crocodile for sure. So I think we used them all, which yeah. makes sense. And this, it, the, that, that's also like the basic game. There's other animals in there mm-hmm. that do some silly stuff too. And I have to say, this this is the exception to the rule. Like we did a, a topic about that a while ago yep. where for me, I'm not a fan of Friedman Freeze games. I've proven it. I it, It's not like I'm going in there going, you know what, I'll I'll try it, see how it is. I, I'm being more open-minded about it. Yeah. But every Friedman Freeze game I played didn't hit. And this one, I would. It's ugly as sin. It's got nice components, but it's it's a Friedman freeze, so it's browns and greens everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It, the, and the, that sloth on the cover is just. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's cartoony. It's fun, but it's it's not. It was pretty. good though. I did yeah. enjoy it. Good deal. So then, so if I were to bring over other Friedman freeze, where I said this is this is unique, I'll for whatever try reason, it. Like I said, you're 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 probably gonna be less begrudgingly. No, because he's batting one out of four. So one out of five. Oh yeah, yeah. he's batting one out of five. <laughs> so five. I was gonna give him a two fifty average. So I need. To... He's down on like a two hundred. He's under the Mendoza line. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> so I got to bring over like at least four other pretty bad games, and then I'll find that <laughs> that next one where you're like, man, Freedom and Freeze just knocked it out of the park with this one. <laughs> when you go with level expectations, you'll be fully surprised. Yeah. <laughs> That's my number two, fast lofts. All right, going into my number two. Um, no, that was you should have been my number three. three. Yeah, yeah. Going into it. my number two here is another one. Again, my next two games I didn't complete, but I played enough of it to understand if I'm going to like it or not. And the the reason why we didn't complete this is that there was a uh, issue with a buddy of mine we were playing the game with. He had an issue at his home, so we had to just break it down and take off. And that's Disney Gargoyles: The Awakening. Uh, most recent game that you can get at, I think it just came in at Target on around uh, August 1st or so. One of the new ones that they come mm-hmm. in. From Robinsburger. From Robinsburger. It, again, didn't get to finish it. And talking about well-produced games, we talked about Juicy Fruit and we talked about um, Fast Loss. This one for 30 bucks is a very well-produced game. Mm-hmm. Mind you, it's also in Target, so that's an easier price point for them. But it's also a pain in the butt. <laughs> And it's the buildings themselves. It's cool. It's a 3D uh, map in a sense. You're putting up the buildings and you have this little grid in there where you're moving and there's spaces. You can go actually diagonal. It's one of the few games I own where when you're moving diagonal, you can go that way, you can go that way, you can go whichever way you want. Um, But you have to break down the buildings every time. There's a few that can just stay built and go in your box, but you have to get rid of the insert, which I did. 
and, but the other ones have to be broken down. Like the big tower one has to be broken down the whole time. There's no way you can keep it in that box with everything else. And it gets a bit annoying when you're trying to mess with that finicky. But the game itself is really well. It's your simple co-op. You do some stuff, then bad things happen. And but and we'll talk about it later. But I like the fact that it does do some changes from other co-ops of that nature. And it's really good. I do want to play it more. I actually want to complete a game, but... We had a great time with it and what we did get to play. We did about four or five rounds before um, I think you showed up and then the whole thing happened. And so we were like, okay, I'll break it down. We'll just go home. Really, really enjoyed it though. Had a great time with it. And I, I was a big fan of the cartoon. So I'm excited that I actually own it. Very cool. Yeah. I, I'd i be curious to try it. I've never watched the cartoon. Never been a Gargoyle fan, but... Ravensburger does, they do hit it out of the park from time to time. I don't yeah. know who the designer is, though. Uh, I can't remember the name. It's on the box. Um, but it's it's not Prospero Hall or anything like that. Um, in fact, the last two co-op uh, Ravensburger games I got are not Prospero Hall. Because I, I got Aliens, Fate of the Nostromo. I still need to play that one. Mm-hmm. And then Gargoyles. Uh, haven't played, or I did just play that one, as I mentioned. But that, yeah, none of cool. those are Prospero Hall. Speaking of not Prospero Hall... Any other game that's not Prospero. I, I played Golden Ticket, the Willy Wonka game. <laughs> I, that, that, another one, speaking of Target, actually. Speaking another one Target, that you can get at Target. From Buffalo and, Games. And I'm sitting there. Okay. But not Phil Walker Harding. But not Phil Walker Harding. <laughs> Surprisingly enough. Surprisingly, because the last two Buffalo games that you bought were Phil yes. Walker Harding ones yep. that you talked about. Well, it's because I bought them because they were Phil Walker Harding. <laughs> and then... After realizing how good of production Buffalo is actually making For games. price, too. For the price, yeah. So this game includes 60 plastic Wonka bars with with a cardboard uh, sheath over the over those. Five plastic golden tickets. <coughs> excuse me. Five plastic golden tickets. Uh, six custom meeples with stickers on them. They're, yeah. they're shaped. One's Willy Wonka and the other are the five kids. Um, then you have about like 80 cards or so, then you have pl- mats for all those. Then you have a, like a full thing of tokens that are one and three value for coin. And then you have a purple bag that keeps the coin tokens not used in the game. Mind you, it's just, that's just how it carries it. Cause they added a production 20 bucks from target. Yeah. And it looks nice. $20. I've seen two different copies of it. Your yep. copy and our mutual friend Bryce who's been on the show with us, the the Gamehead Geek over on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice looking, but yeah. I've heard from both of you it's a pain in the butt to put together. It's not too bad. I mean, it's well it is. But <laughs> once it's built, it's built. So yeah. e- each of them is like half of a tuck box. <laughs> You know how the tuck box has like the little part that like folds inward? Yeah. It has that on one side and the other side is completely empty because you just slide the chocolate bars in. Yeah. Um, it makes sense. No, I get that. And functionally it does work. I don't know how much it'll be before it wears out, but we'll see. Uh, but no, the, so well, the idea of this game is That's been our play. thing about um, mm-hmm. uh, Buffalo games is that they're good. We just don't know how long it's going to be the wear out. You said the same yeah. thing about Summer Camp and you had issues with Tetris as well. Yep. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful game. That I, I I liked it quite a bit. You know, it has its flavor in. It's like a family weight Istanbul, um, mm. because what you're doing is you're either discarding a card to move up, down, left, or right one space, and then take the action that's on the space itself, which is stuff like trade cards or money in for like Wonka bars or more cards or 
extra movement or special actions, whatever. And then, or you can play the card for their action, and you place them below your board. What makes this different than most games like that, that sounds almost like a take-that game In a all sense, of a sudden. Yeah. But no, what you're doing is the cards that you play, you can take two actions on your turn. And let's say I play like two two different uh, kind of candy. Um, there's there's sweets, there's rowdy cards, and there is wild cards, I think, that have Wonka hats on them. Those are the three categories. And there's a mechanism in this game called sweeping, where basically you take the ones that, that you had played below you, and you di- then discard them. Okay. But what you've previously played, you can sweep for points or Wonka bars. So, for example, like, uh, there's one spot where it says, sweep one, two, three, or four rowdy cards, and then take that many Wonka bars. Okay. So if I've only previously played three, I can sweep those for the action. Dump. Just all you're doing is discarding it. You've already played them for their special action. Okay. And then you take that many Wonka bars. Now, here's what makes it interesting. Let's say there's five players. You play with one fewer uh, golden ticket than the number of players. And as long as you get at least one golden ticket, you win. The rules do say that if you want to play friendly, and if you get an additional uh, golden ticket, you choose who you give it to. I say keep it. (laughs) Because that's funny. Yeah. And and so, yes, it could be the fact that, um, you know, we might play a four-player game, and you and the other two players might get a single Wonka bar, but those are the ones with golden tickets, and I get everything else, and I get nothing, and I lose. And yes, that stings, because technically I lost, but then, you know, you could just say, oh, I have the moral victory, I had all these Wonka bars, clearly I played better, but still, that's amazing. Yeah, now, (laughs) what's funny about it, now that you mentioned it, um, I was watching on TikTok, there's a guy on there called Plumpy Thimple, and he has a skit that he uh, does where he plays death and he's playing mm-hmm. this game. Yep. And so death, the death character had all the Wonka bars and he had the one that had the golden ticket in it. So yep. it just, it made, it made me giggle. And I'm like, yeah, I can see why people like this one. It's simple. Yeah. It's not as strategic as some of the bigger games on, you see on the shelf behind yeah. me, but it's fun. Yeah, it's a good gateway, but there is one huge problem with it. And I bet you can guess what it is since it's Buffalo games. The cardstock? The cards. You can't... You you have to, like, peel them up. Like, you, you can't, like, spread them. You can't even deal them normally. Oh, they, man. They, they, it's like trying to deal sheets of paper. You can't do it. It's so difficult because there's no plastic finish. There's no linen finish, no air cushion, what Bicycle has. Nothing. It's, like, just sheets of thick paper. That... And it... it I, I'm going to sleeve it. I'm going to buy some purple sleeves for it, well, but you I'm have not to, okay with that. You part. have to do that a lot for a lot of Buffalo games. I have yeah. to do it for summer camp, and we talked about it last week. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's a deck builder. Your main thing is going to be the cards. Yeah. Why it, or why are the cards so bad? So, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I almost want to, like, give them a call, because I have their number, <laughs> clearly. You know, and say, hey, look, everything you're doing is fan- fantastic. I would be willing to pay another, like, 5 to $10. Yeah, just, just make the cards better. The cards are just... Have a plastic coating. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Their cardboard stuff works really well. Just make the cards slightly better. Mm-hmm. Just give, give me do. a better stock. You don't even have to give it linen finish. Just give it a better stock. <laughs> the, yeah. These cards are, for me, like almost on equivalency of like Hasbro cards. Yeah. Yeah, they're, Yeah, that's a good comparison. It's like trying to deal out the... No, I bet even the Monopoly properties are better. But dealing out well, the money... I have a uh, Rick and Morty clue down mm-hmm. there because um, my wife's a Rick and Morty fan and it was gifted to her. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, when I was putting it together and, you know, putting it for I could keep it on the shelf, you know, unwrapping it and stuff, the cardstock just made me sad. And mm-hmm. that's what I remind when I start messing with the Buffalo games or Summer Camp. I love that game. I I showed it to some friends as well. I've showed it to everybody I possibly can for that game. Yep. And the cardstock still makes me sad. I'm going to have to put sleeves on it just because this game is going to get that wear and tear. Because if anybody says, hey, what's a deck builder? Introduce me to a deck builder. That's the, my go-to. That makes sense. Mine's probably still uh, Star Realms. I yeah, think. I think because of the simplicity and the the interesting theme, because nobody's going to be offended by summer camp, really. No. Compared to some people might not like sci-fi, and yeah, you got right. hero realms, but some people might not like fantasy. So, yeah, that makes sense. But that's that's my number two, Golden Ticket, the Willy Wonka game. All right, moving on to my number one game, and it's another one that you and me played, but we didn't get to finish. Um, we did play quite a bit of this game, and we were actually getting near uh, one of the major points of the game where the merge was supposed to happen with the, the last players. Um, but we both had to end up leaving that night because, mind you, it was already, what, almost 10? Something like that. Yeah, That's and, and there is probably still another 30 minutes or so left in the game, but we just we had to call it. And that is Ankh. It's the most recent um, Simon, come on, whatever you want to say, game out there and it's the third of the pseudo trilogy that is known as the eric lang simon trilogy yeah the simon it, trilogy i don't, I, know, I don't know the name and it's funny because we've had a big discussion about this trilogy and about the definitions yeah. of it and i i yeah fine i consider it a trilogy i have no issue with that it's just that we just it don't was, know why yeah we don't know yeah. why it's a trilogy because they don't like for me we were talking about like how I said Gloomhaven is a trilogy, and they're like, no, oh, no, because Gloomhaven Jaws of Lions plays exactly the same as Gloomhaven, and Frosthaven right. plays going to play similar. But I'm like, yeah, but they still add to the story. It's like you're saying the prequel Star Wars movies don't do anything different compared to the Star Wars original series, yet they're part of the same saga. And then you also got to throw in the founders of Gloomhaven too, which ties into it as well. Yeah. But going back to Ankh. I don't know how I feel about this one, honestly. I did enjoy myself. I do like the game. Mm-hmm. But when I'm talking about, and you can see Rising Sun behind me and Blood Rage on the shelf next to it, between those two games, yeah, there you go. Between those two games, when I played both of those, it gripped me. I really enjoyed the drafting mechanism in Blood Rage. I really love the, the the actual combat in Rising Sun and then the working during the tea ceremony, making alliance and deciding to if now is a good time to break the alliance or when you're making your decisions throughout the game. Those two really grasped me and made me really get into the game. And Ankh sort of did, but where in those two games, you're playing as clans in a sense and you're getting the Shinto and Rising Sun and the, the gods in Blood Rage to work for you. In this one, you're the actual gods who want to not be forgotten. So you're actually drawing in the faithful to remember you and fight for you and stuff like that. And I, I get it. It's cool. But it just it doesn't grasp me as well as the other two. And the, the mechanism itself is basically action selection. Mm-hmm. And it's fine. But it just... Uh, I like drafting more, and I love the the whole package of Rising Sun more than Ankh. I did enjoy it. It's wonderfully produced, especially for when you're talking about a Kickstarter from Simon. It's going to be one of the best produced games out there. It's just regardless, especially if you get the Kickstarter one with how all the exclusivities and all that from it. I do need to play it some more just to see how I really feel and where it sits for me. But right now, out of the three, it's my least favorite. Yeah. 
I uh, haven't played Blood Rage. That's the only one I have. I haven't played Rising Sun yet. I I liked it. I like what it did. I felt like I honest I honestly felt the biggest deterrent from that game. The only bad thing I would really say about it is I thought it was overproduced for what the game was. I thought that game Yeah, I could see that. That that like, might be why it, it wasn't simpler. Yeah, it wasn't grasping me is because yeah, it's cool. This is what you expect from Simon, but yeah. it didn't fit for what we were doing. Yeah. Like like this could be simple smaller minis or um yeah. Pawns or whatnot. And Kickstarter makes like a or uh Simon makes an amazing amazing production and mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. But like have you ever played uh have you ever played um like lawn chess? Yeah. Like where where you have like the big like foot and a half tall or two foot tall pieces but you're playing chess? Did that really like increase or like <laughs> increase the value? Or like, uh, Cracker Barrel with the giant checkers? Yeah, it's like, is it's... that that much better? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Yeah, like, no. I mean, it like I don't know. It's just it seemed like it was too small of a game for what they were doing. And well, I, and I, I thought I was taken away by that. In the fact that, that the, the game was fine, board felt small with all the minis. On all honesty, and I yeah. I get it because the, they 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 push for the the play mats, mm -hmm. and so uh, our mutual friend didn't get the play mat because mind you, it was already an expensive Kickstarter to begin with. Yeah. And um, but so I get it. It's just those minis made the the play mat feel small. It, you know what it kind of remind me of, and it was it's just another Simon game, is um. The, uh, what is that game called? The Cthulhu one from Simon. Uh, Death May Death Die. Death May Die, yeah. Where the minis are great, but then you have this modular board, and the board pieces are like, hitting my mic again. Like, uh -oh. that big. We apologize. <laughs> they're not that, that, that large. And so, just the whole thing gets swarmed. And it kind of fits for that, because you're getting overwhelmed by the creatures from uh, Death May Die. But this one, you're fighting over territory. You're trying to become the one with the most faith and stuff like that. And it just sure. it feels tight, but not in a way a game should feel tight when it's yeah. battling. It just it feels like there's oh, just... cumbersome. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, other than that, the game was fine. Like, it, no knocks on the actual mechanisms or the game itself. I think it's a solid game. Um, it, yeah, but it's just, I don't know. I, I was fine playing that. I I play so many underproduced games that you know this was a this was a yeah, yeah. to play something <laughs> that's overly it's, produced. It's weird to play an overproduced game yeah. where we we talked about it not too long ago. We were talking about, I can't remember what game it was. It's like they could have done a little something more with what mm -hmm. they had here. Yep. Don't give me these generic pawns. At least give me meeples. And this one we're like, there's just too much plastic for the small board. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When when you have a piece that's like half a foot tall, and then it's like the hex that's just slightly bigger. Yeah, yeah, that was that was something different. But it was cool. And uh, we're gonna give a shout out to Creative Chaos. Thanks for joining us. And my my last one that I want to talk about was a game called Dive. Have you heard anything about this game? The only thing I've heard about it is our mutual friend keeps saying that you want to play it so bad. And every time I saw him, he would say, "Danny, you're gonna like this. I, I think you're gonna like this." <laughs> And then one of the last game nights, it was nice and slow, and everybody was ready. It's like, all right, everyone's on autopilot. And then he, he brought it out, and he just gave me that look from across the room. Huh? <laughs> it's like, okay. All right. It's like, how long does it play? It's like 15, 20 minutes. Okay, let's try it. So the idea of dive is you are trying, you're basically trying to bid on sea life. Either turtles, which are red or green turtles, 
which is one flaw because they're a little hard to see, but um, because they're kind of faded. Or um, I think starfish, or no, manta rays, you can get points if you're not the leader. So they're kind of like a catch-up mechanism. But there's also sharks to be aware of. You don't, you want to bid accurately on sharks. So the idea is you can bid up to five levels, and the levels are made up of these clear plastic sheets that are, you know, about eight by eight foot, or eight by eight, uh, eight by eight inches or so. Mm-hmm. And have you ever had like a clear deck of cards? Like, have you ever seen those, like, where you can't actually see through all of them? The invisible because, cards? I have, a, like, yeah. s- set right there behind you on the... <laughs> Look, may I borrow those yeah. real quick? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, if you look at this, and this will be for the... Uh, not video, yeah. Yep, video listeners only. If I hold up these invisible cards, yes, each one is individually transparent, but if I hold up a pack of them, this is only, like, half of the deck, you can't see behind it. That's because each layer adds just a little bit more blurriness. Yeah. Well, that's the mechanism in the game, is the idea is that they are all uh, clear blue sheets with these images on them. Yeah. And it, it gives you the sense of looking down into the ocean, because <laughs> the more sheets you look through, the more faded they are. And that's what's interesting. That's what makes the game really stand out, is because you're trying to guess up to five levels at a time... Or am I... Is that on the same level as this? Is that turtle on the top level? <coughs> and each of the images are also partly transparent themselves. So yeah. you can see through it. And then some of the levels are really great. Some of them have like a giant whale that's just right in the middle of it. You know, covering up everything. Some of them have bubbles. Where they actually cut out part of the plastic. And it's a it's a it's it's an empty like circle that's bubble shaped. And so it doesn't give you that effect, but you know it's there because yeah. you can see the edges of it. And there's other sea life. There's like uh, schools of fishes and stuff. It's so fun. And so you have tokens uh, numbered one, two, three, four, and five. Yeah. And the idea is that on each of the levels, you can put as many of the tokens as you want. And you put them on either the shark or the not shark side. So, <clears throat> for example, let's say... Uh, the first level, I'm confident that there's like two turtles on it. Yeah. I might I might bid kind of high. I might say like I have like bid a five, a five and a or a five and a two, and hoping that that you out, or nobody outbids me. But then uh, after we've bid all those levels, going top down, we see whoever gets the highest and whoever was correct, mm-hmm. then they score the points if they bid <coughs> the highest. So whatever points the turtles would be, one or two points. But if you're ever wrong, you're done for the dive. Oh. So you don't get to keep guessing, even if you were right. So as soon as you get one wrong, because then you also get one point on how far down you delved. So if you spread out all of them evenly, you probably won't get points for actually guessing what the animals are on it. But you get some points points for going deep. For going deep, yeah. And so it's super neat. It's so brilliant. It has no right being as fun as it is. My question, do you think I would like it? Yes. I okay. really do. I, there is something so unique about it, and it's not just a gimmick. It works really well. It's not like we need more water games between Dive and Aquatica and Ocean. And the, the, this is the time. <laughs> this is the time when the Ocean games are finally, finally yeah, starting here. to hit. Yeah. It, it's, dive is a very welcome, interesting idea. I've not seen it before. Um, I, I think it's brilliant. I, I speaking of that game night, and it sounds pretty cool. I need to play it. Kind of sad I didn't make it to the last one because the theme was IP. I I just totally 
forgot we were outside dealing with weeds and stuff like that all week. I'm going to tell you a, a quick story. And as you can see behind one me, of, I got a lot of IP games. You got a lot of IP games. <laughs> there was there, one of our patrons uh, who who comes to the shop very often. Uh, we'll, we'll probably give him a shout out later. He runs his own YouTube channel too. Um, but he brought a Lego game. And at first I was like, what? He was like, you've never heard of this because nobody has. And he brought it out and it's like a two-player resource management game where the resources are your Legos at your building and you have like the pieces inside of a pod and you could buy different pods and, and different, uh, di- different, like you have different card plays. Uh, there was a video game designer who created the game Quantum. Okay. Uh, it's a board game called Quantum. It's a dice game. He was the original designer for this Lego board game long before like the Lego board games that you're familiar with, like like the Dungeon Crawl one and the Roll and Move and all that stuff. This was completely unique. The, it, uh, our friend much, brought I, up a I very... actually have a Lego one down there. Yeah. I have the Harry Potter one. <laughs> right. And, and it's probably okay. It's, it's not it's bad. Fun. I enjoyed it. This seemed like a legitimately fun game, regardless of whether it was Lego or not. It's so crazy. It I'll have to show you it later, but that blew my mind when he showed me it. I was like, <laughs> you need to see this. I'm going to get some people to play. I'm like, do it, because I want to see that. So when I was talking to the wife about it, I'm like, I can't believe I missed it. That would have been my perfect one, and I counted. Mm-hmm. I have 38 IP games. Wow. <laughs> I, I think I brought... Almost all of the ones I own, and in fact, and I think like I maybe ten or fifteen. I maybe. miscounted. I have thirty nine because if you notice that, um, I don't know if you can see it very well, but the um, aliens uh, deck oh, yeah. builder, I have Predator in that same box. <laughs> okay, <laughs> legendary. Well, there you go. Yeah, so I was like, that would have been mine. Uh, right, the aliens, the gargoyles. Um, uh, you can see behind me. I have Star Trek Panic right behind your head. Star mm-hmm. Wars Rising. I brought my Rising. copy of Star Trek Panic. It's <laughs> so good. Horrified Goonies. Yep. Just everything above your head except for Pan Am really is IP, and Pan Am's kind of IP as Pan well. Am absolutely, is intellectual <laughs> property. It's just not media. No, but I don't think it is intellectual property unless they, you know, got the rights because the TV show. No, now made, it is. Yeah, because they made a board game from it. it well, not just it. that; they also had a, a TV show off of Pan Am as well. Did they really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Is the game based off of the? the no, it's TV based show? off the old Pan Am, which oh. is funny because uh, speaking of Pan Am, we, I was playing. We were playing, or we played it right, and just recently, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I watched Blade Runner not too long after we played it for the first time, and they have advertisements for Pan Am. And then I followed that up with the most recent Blade Runner 2049, I think is what it was. And they still have ads for Blade or Pan Am because they wanted to stay consistent to the because there was such a big uh, stretch between the sequel. Yeah, that's pretty great. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. Okay, cool. So now, shall we get into the actual discussion topic? We will in a sec. I just want to make mention as well to let everybody know about the update um, that I will be starting work soon. So we don't know exactly what the recording schedule is soon, but we're going to be able to work it out because we're not that far apart now. So as you can see, we can record together. So once I get my schedule nailed down, we'll figure out what our new recording schedule will be. Cool deal. All right. All right. So you want to tell the people what our topic is? Yeah. So for once, you know, we used to we used to just kind of have – uh, a list where it's like, yeah, let's t- think of eight games that meet this criteria. But we want to, we try to do something different. We want to talk about actual game theory today, mm-hmm. and we've used the term 
good and bad month or good and bad games. Uh, I know I've used that. It's like, oh, this is a bad game for this reason. And we've used it in our top eight debates. We've used this in other discussion part points. But then we got in some pretty, <laughs> pretty heated discussions about like, well, what makes, makes a game, game good bad. or bad? And like, then this comes back from when just us most recently bringing up a topic that we were talking mm-hmm. about during the top eight debate or our fight over looping Louie. Yes. And you had a, a mutual friend of ours explain it to better what we said. And I think we talked about it in the last podcast yeah. as well. We'll give a shout out to that episode. If you haven't seen the uh, video games that should be made into board games. Yeah. Uh, our friend Jim, he he's a brilliant person. And, and I'm going to steal a lot of his arguments because he really did give me a lot of those. <laughs> uh, no, he, he, he studied video games and game theory more than I have. And he brought up some really solid points. And it wasn't until his argument... That we were sitting there playing in a group, Loop and Louie, and I was like, man, this game is so fun, I love this. And then I was, I asked him, I was like, so, let me ask you a question. In your opinion, do you think this game is good or bad? And he said, well, in what, in what context? I was like, because me and Daniel have argued about it, that context. <laughs> I said, we, he says it's a bad game, I say it's a good game, because it's skill-based. And he had a very good counter-argument for it. And that in other skill-based games, like, and pool kind of falls in this category. Yeah. If you have the ability through, by using skill to completely prevent another player from even taking a turn, he thinks that is functionally a bad game. Whereas like, say in something like chess, if I'm playing against a grandmaster, I'm definitely going to lose. Yeah. It's kind of pointless for me to play, mm-hmm. but that is not a design fault in the game. That is just simply I am not to that. There's skill a skill level. level, yeah. And I and and to prove that point even more, no matter how bad I am compared to the good player, I still get the opportunity to move my pieces. Yeah, I still have every chance. I don't have any any way that is preventing me from being as good as the other player, other than my skill. And that was the counter-argument that he made that was, I mean, no offense, Daniel, it was just way more eloquent. <laughs> you, you've spoken with, you know our friend. You you know exactly what we're talking about. But, and Lupin Louie unfortunately falls in that line where if someone is skilled enough, they could hit a perfect move every time and actually prevent other players from playing. Mm-hmm. And, which was my argument and that you were... <laughs> And, and I stand by my reasoning in that I don't think, I, I still think that if if you're overly skilled, that's not a problem with the game. But if the game it design is, because no, if you're the if, if the you're the allows, first player basically, and you the other person cannot take in, in an entire turn at all throughout the entire game, right. what's the point of me playing? Well, agreed. But like, let's say bowling. Let's say I, I bowl a perfect 300 every time, right? And yeah, you but don't. that's that that's fine because I can still you can bowl. still do it, right? And so. I think where it boils down to is that the game design, the the determination on if that game is good or bad is not the level of skill of the players. It's the uh, it's how well it allows the player to if it if it allows all players to have a chance to play. Yeah, and I'm already getting into the list um, because that is a huge a huge thing. Yeah, no, it is. And I, I, I agree completely with what he was saying because it's basically better way he's, I said it. <laughs> That's yeah, really what it is. Much better. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I am not as eloquent <laughs> as him, okay? Yeah. You you get me flustered where I want to beat you with my physical hands, not my words. <laughs> you argue with these. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. So we we've came up with some some reasons. I have four things that I think make a good game, four things that make a uh, a bad game. And I I didn't go that route. I went with because some some of them are what makes a bad game, some of them are what makes a good game. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple that kind of cross over where if this happens, it could either um, this is if it's done well, it could make it a good game. If it's done badly, it could make it a bad game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you want me to start on this one because I actually have a a good uh, beginning point? Sure. And that's because our friend uh, Creative Chaos brought up a uh, in in the comments. She said the game can't adapt to counter that issue. But then uh, up above that, you also explained. Exactly, and games are supposed to be fun, right? Mm-hmm. It makes it a bad time for the other players. And I think that's one of the biggest things. A game, I can I can say, can almost be a good game for any person who thinks that it's fun. Yeah. If it's a fun theme, or if it's a, a, a fun mechanism, it would be a good experience, and therefore will make it better than a bad game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the best example I have of that is I played a game called Astron, and Astron is a game from the 1950s, and I played so this, random. It, it's and no, and this is this is really <laughs> what brought this this conversation on. And I played this with with gamers who are the heaviest Euro gamers. We didn't do the the discussion topic <laughs> before we started. We haven't. We'll we'll go back into that. You're right. I'm gonna pause right there, and we're gonna ask the viewers what they thought. I'm like staring right at it. I'm like, we didn't even get started on that. <laughs> so we asked this to our, our Facebook group. Uh, not our Facebook group, the Board Game Revolution group. And we asked this earlier today, so we don't have too many comments, but uh, go ahead and give us a start. Uh, Nicholas said, is everyone having fun? It's good. Though even though it's a flawed concept because everyone's concept of fun is subjective, to him, Too Many Bones is the number one favorite game of all time while he's met people who can't stand the game. And yeah, I, this is yeah. this this is a very subjective list. This is what we believe makes a game good or bad in our opinion. But from anything I put you might have a counter argument for it and that's fine it's vice mm-hmm. versa it's just something that is open for discussion and that's what we want to talk about is yeah. just what makes it and then now that he's within reaching range <laughs> i mean my fist is you know just a good size of your jaw right there yeah give or take yeah no it, it exactly it's very it's a very subjective thing but i mean that that kind of proves the point if and i agree with him i actually really disliked too many bones when i played it yeah, yeah, and, you've mentioned it before. And, yeah, and because I really disliked it, it wasn't fun for me. But I get the appeal of why people do like it. It's just I don't like the game itself. I don't think it's a very good game, which I'll, for reasons I'll explain later. Uh, Nicholas says easy to learn, a joy to play, can be solo or multiple players is good. Convoluted rules and references, fiddly bits, and needless fluff. To bloat a box is bad. And that, we just kind of talking about that about Thonk earlier. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, with Onk is a is a really great example. We feel that it's a smaller game than it should feel. This yeah. is just I'm other players, if you like Onk, awesome. Yeah, no. I'm, you know, you have every right to. And, and I didn't if, hate it. it just, I really enjoyed reason, it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> for some reason it felt like it should have been a smaller game than what it was. Yeah, no. I agree. And and I don't know how to even quantify that. Creative chaos laughed at our at the term fiddly bits. 
Shannon says, I think for me, it needs to be a balance of good strategy, great art, and fun to play with anyone. It makes the game great. I think if just one of this is missing, it it's a miss for me. Simplistic, I know. Yep. And uh, Rex said, great player interaction, flawless game mechanics, easy to teach and learn. Last option, which would be a plus, honestly, is player count. This is why a lot of party games are fun slash good. Uh, the only problem for those is that they require a high player count to be fun. Yeah, see, I have an argument against that. Uh, party games are expected to be fun. They're not expected to be great. I wouldn't say Time's Up is a great game, but it's no. a lot of fun. It's, or, it's very fun, yeah. Yeah, and another one that you like to pull out at the shop all the time, uh, Concept. It's not mm-hmm. the best game in the world, but no. it's still fun to play. I, I remember Absolutely. you showing it to a group of teenagers, I think, what, 14, 15, younger yeah, teenager side? Probably. And they had fun. And I, you I, you were showing it to them, and you showed me what they their their thing was. And I was sitting there like, that's way before their time, because you're talking about like would, movies. It was and Frankenstein, No, right? it was Werewolf. Werewolf. You would think that 15-year-olds <laughs> would know Werewolf, but it shows how old I am. <laughs> exactly. I thought that was like common knowledge. I thought that was in the lexicon. No, but, you, you have to be a fan to search for that, because they're in the generation where Werewolves to them was through, through Twilight. And so, <laughs> yeah. and they're teenage boys. They're not going to make They're not going to watch Twilight. No. <laughs> No, that and that's fair. So, yeah, thank you for for everybody who commented. Going back to my point, Astron, and this this goes back to that. So I was playing this game. Let me give you a context. It was in a game room that was designed to be. A, it's like a little mini house in the back of his yard, <laughs> right? And it has like its own bathroom, its own little bedroom, and so basically walls, they made a tiny game. house for board gaming. Yes, that is absolutely <laughs> it. And there was multiple tables for for groups, and there was one big. Like bar height, massive gaming table that could fit eight people easily. You know, four per size. It was a square. <coughs> Excuse me. And these guys are the kind of guys where you play power grid with them, you know, and they will have it down to the dollar, you know, and they have the ability to strategize and they play the really heavy Euros and the heavy economic simulator games. And they love how competitive they can be because they are such on that same level. I was never up to their level. And then one day, uh, the main the main gentleman, his name is Kevin, he brought out Astron from the 1950s. And I think the only reason he kept it is because it's an antique and it's valuable. Yeah. But the idea of this game is you have a massive scroll of paper that has a grid. You're flying around the world and then eventually up to, you, you launch a rocket into the moon. But you're on a rocket, right? Yeah. And so this paper scroll has two wood wood dowels on both sides. And the box is made up of this clear uh, plastic layer that has a grid on it. And that's the spaces that you're on the board. You can't leave that grid. Okay. But you all you do on your turn is play a card from your hand, which will say, like, move forward three spaces or move back two spaces or left or right. And then sometimes it'll have you move the board itself. Where you everybody kind of grabs one of the sides and you start scrolling the board <laughs> underneath that plastic sheet, and the idea is there's spots on this map where, where um, there are you know destinations where you're trying to land, and then yeah. you draw victory point cards, and so the victory point cards are random, so you don't know it's anywhere from like one to five points, and then there's bad parts like hurricanes and stuff that you're trying to avoid, obviously, which you get negative point cards for. They're called hazards, and Part of the game is playing a card. It's like, I'm going to move the map three spaces. 
oh, look, you're three spaces behind a hazard. Oh, well, you know, and then you throw other people into the hazards, you know, and, and we, all of these really heavy gamers and myself, we were just giggling the whole time. It was, we're like, we're like, this is just ridiculous. And we counted up the points at the end and I don't have a slightest clue of who won. I don't remember because we didn't care. Yeah. We, it, if we you had fun with it, then it's not a fun. bad game. And and I, I appreciated what he said the most. As soon as he picked up the game, we all had smiles. And he said, this was made back in the day when games weren't intended to be good. They were intended they to, be to be fun. fun. Yeah. And that really struck a chord with me. And I think that's what really kind of came up with this concept. If a, Regardless of how good or bad a game is, it becomes good now who's punching if it their is mic. fun. Right? <laughs> it becomes good if it's fun for people. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like, a, That's why it's so subjective. A good game for kids, apples to apples. Is it actually a good game? No, it's a terrible game. But is it good for kids? It teaches them counting. Yeah. That's good. And the kids have fun putting little cherries in the cups. We'll Absolutely. talk about apples to apples a little bit later. Yeah. But that's that's an idea, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's fun for the audience that it's intended for. <laughs> so that that's my, that's my first one is I think fun upgrades a game. No, and I, I get that. I agree with you. Well, like I said, we'll talk about Apple uh, to Apples a little bit. For one of my first choices here, and this is what makes a game good, it's something we talk about all the time, and it's one of the reasons in our Top 8 debate. Mm-hmm. And it's in the game immersion category, and okay. it's theme matching the mechanism. If you can merge the mechanism to the actual theme that's painted on, it could just enhance an already good game. So yeah. case in point, Viticulture, you do feel like you're – a winery you're building your farm your 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 fields with your grapes you're going out there and you're smashing them make them into wine you're putting them to sellers to age them you're selling them you're trying to meet requirements you give wine tastings as part of the game as well and so when you merge the theme with the mechanism it just it enhances it. another game that i'm going to talk about is western legend you do feel like you're an outlaw or a sheriff and you're living in the wild west and Everything in that game, even though it's a sandbox game, really fits. Like, anything you've seen on TV, you can play poker. You've seen that a lot in a Western movie. You can shoot bandits. You've seen that a lot in Western movies and stuff like that. You can be a sheriff and go after the outlaw players or a deputy for the sheriff and do stuff like that. When you blend the mechanisms of the game to the actual theme, and we've talked about it in our top eight debates, sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll say a deterrent for a game is that it's just mechanistic. You can put any theme on it and it works. Uh, Case in point, the crew. I really like the crew. I think it's a great game. But the theme barely comes out. Yeah. Barely. To the point where they have one in space and now they're going to have one where it's underwater. Yeah. (laughs) And it makes sense both ways. But when you can blend... The any, any Stefan Feld game just doesn't have... Yeah, it's, it's point salad for a reason. That's why it's Stefan Feld is the king of point salads. It's there to make points, and there's a theme. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm talking about, like, Western Legends, Viticulture. Heck, Gloomhaven as a dungeon crawler really fits its mechanisms really well. Mm-hmm. And so when you get that blending, that feel, that love, it just makes a game and enhances it so much better. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That's actually my next one is immersive theme. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it, no matter how fantastical or absurd the theme is, if the mechanisms allow you to portray that theme, that's that's huge. That makes it a good game. Yeah. And so, for example, um, I know pancakes are not technically sweets, but I'm going to use them as this example. Um, 
there is a game called Renegade or from Renegade Games called like uh, Ice Cream Split or Sunday Split. Yeah, and it's an ice split you choose thing where you're getting different toppings of ice cream, and that works, you know. But that doesn't make sense. Like, imagine me putting out a bunch of bowls in front of you. Like, here's here's the toppings. Yeah, you choose a few. Like, here here's the ones you can get. There's the ones I can get. Uh, like that. That's a little odd. But then on the flip side of it. Uh, I have a game called Yum Yum Pancakes or something like that, <laughs> where you have all these like plastic pancake pieces mm-hmm. and they have toppings and you're, but the way you flip over the tokens is you put them in a plastic little frying pan and, and whoever's flipping flips the tokens, physically <laughs> flips them and they all like, and some of them fly, some fly out of the pan, you know, yeah. some, some actually do flip. Until you, know, you play with it, an actual chef who's like, eh. yeah, who's really good at it <laughs> and flips them all over in one go, you know? Yeah. It, and it's really fun how it works. And then, but then at that point it's just a memory game and like, I pick one up. It's like, Oh, what topping is this? And you just guess, you know? Yeah. That makes it less of a, a good game. But that initial part of the flipping the pancakes, amazing. You yeah. Know? No, I that agree. turns it into a dexterity game. And that, that part of the game is great. Yeah, no, and it goes with what I was saying about, like, the theme matching, the mechanism, or immersive games. When you can get into it, and this is the reason why it's a category in our top eight debate. If you can get into the game, it's going to make you uh, have a great time. The new form of Pogs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is the new form of Pogs. I don't know where my Pogs are. I have them somewhere around here. I have a tournament set for Pogs. If you ever want to throw down, I have, I have a X-Men set of Pogs, and they're still sealed in their bag. Because I won them at a RPG day for having like one of the most famous deaths. Because I was the only one at the table that rode a one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that you know, I actually have one of those the the Magic Eight Ball slammers. The oh yeah, that yeah, yeah. Everyone wanted like the Cadillac of slammers, if you will. I don't know. I didn't really want the eight ball. I had the Cadillac of slammers that I wanted. It was the uh, it was a Batman slammer that was pure uh, heavy. Okay. Everybody kept trying to steal my slammer. I'd believe that. <laughs> Anybody who likes Batman. We are off topic. Holy cow. But yeah, well, immersive theme. Critic Chaos brought up Pogs and that kind of <laughs> threw us off. So my next one here kind of goes with what we were talking about just now recently, and that's engagement. This can make a game good or bad, being engaged in the game throughout the entire game. And this can go with like analysis paralysis and stuff like that as well. Yeah. But if the game, like Quacks and Quedlinburg is a good one, mm-hmm. where even though you're not engaged in your turn, it's not your turn, you're just watching someone else pull, you're still engaged in the game because you're trying to encourage the other player to keep yeah. pulling and pulling, and I'll pull if you pull, and that kind of stuff. Sure. Or um, another good one is Space Base. Space Base keeps you engaged on everybody's turns, and it goes quickly, and it moves fast. If if it's four minutes before my next turn, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out. So yeah. if a game... Had, doesn't have something to keep you engaged in the game inherently it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a bad game but it's not going to make it great i just mentioned two really good games where you're engaged the entire time you're playing through and one of them when you're not even taking a turn you're just you're engaged well you kind of are because you're doing it together but you're egging each other on yeah kind of thing and in a space space you have to because you get rewarded from other players uh stuff as well as machi coral in a sense when you can get uh, uh if they roll a number for one of your red buildings but if you're engaged on other people's turns, uh, I mentioned it earlier, Gloomhaven's another one, when you're going through the initiative, so mm-hmm. you're you're really engaged throughout the game because you're trying to figure out how you're going to move your, your character yeah. and fight and argue or do whatever you got to do in the game. 
And if Joe Schmo plays a higher initiative than you and it could wipe your entire turn, you got to communicate, you got to engage. Okay, let me go after this guy, but you also have hidden information. But it keeps you engaged, it keeps you invested. And that's a big thing about um, with one of the reasons for it being a good game. We've played some Euro games where in a five player game or four player game, mm-hmm. and we've talked about it. I still enjoy the game, but Argent. Where there's four minutes between my turn if you're playing a full oh, contingency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to check out. Even though yep. I have my turns figured out, I'm just like, you know what? Things, the phone, things you know. are going to change. And if I'm not engaged, I'm going to check out. I'm going to watch the hockey game that I got on the TV in the background or something yep. like that. So engagement what is makes the game important and playable. And, you know, like, uh, and that's going to go into one of my next one is uh, Streamlined. If, if, if a game is Streamlined and that... I feel like I do agree with you with engagement, but I feel like a game can be engaging without having to require player interaction. And what I mean by that is like Ticket to Ride is a beautiful example of that. The turns happen so fast that you don't have the time to to lose that focus. Yeah. You can think it's like, all right, well, I have these cards. Oh, it's my turn. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll take these cards. Okay. So then if I build that route, oh, it's my, it's my turn again. Okay. Um, you know, and we got that with Juicy Fruits yesterday. Um, Juicy Fruits, you and I, like, I wasn't finished with my turn. I was just, I would be like, all right, well, I got these fruits, and I'm going to buy this, and you're already shifting. Because <laughs> the game just goes that fast. Yeah, no. And, and I agree with you. And, again, it goes to what I just said with the engagement, too. It's If, if it's streamlined and fast enough, yeah, I get that. It does make right. a good game. And we've talked about it. I enjoyed Great Western Trail, and, yeah, you know, where there's some rules issues and stuff like that. But I agree with you. We played a couple of Fisters, and he just doesn't seem that streamlined that we would like. No, he's definitely not. And it, it's a bog to play it, And which, you know, I think that any good game needs a level of streamlinedness. You know, it like, and then I know it's not a real term, but, like, if, if it's clunky, like how one of our commenters was saying, it does take you out of that game. And, and yeah. even if it's a game that's a high interactive game, if, let's say... Uh, Bonanza is a great example. Bonanza mm-hmm. has amazing player interaction because you're constantly willing and dealing. You're constantly figuring out what's in your hand. You're engaged on every player. But if for some reason, if, you know, Bonanza, it doesn't, rare, it almost never happens. But if I see two cards out there that I don't care about in the slightest, well, I'm going to sit back. And if that wheeling and dealing takes too long, yeah, you're gonna then, check I'm out. Gonna, then I'm going to check out. So, I mean, that's why I think being streamlined helps out a lot. Is you know it the game mechanisms themselves create you that opportunity to never be uh, tired. So like uh, Settlers of Catan is one example of it, where like you first roll the dice, mm-hmm. everybody's engaged because you're all oh well like let's get these resources, let's get these, and then the very next thing that happens, all right, anybody want to trade? No, <laughs> yeah, that was, oh let's deal. Okay, no, I'll give you a wood if you don't give him that. You know like, <laughs> exactly. You know, and then once you're done with the willing dealing, it's like cool. All right, I have what I need. Boom, 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 boom. Next player's turn all of a sudden. You yeah, know, no, and it, it, it works, yeah. Absolutely. So, but that's mine. I, I think being streamlined is one of the most important important things for a game. Yeah, and I don't disagree. And so moving on to my next one, and I mm-hmm. told you I was going to bring up Apples to Apples, and this is where it's at. And this yep. for me is, this can make a bad game, and that's a clone. What I'm talking about here is if you're cloning a game 
and don't change. And I'm not talking about rethemes. I'm talking about like if you apples to apples to cards against humanity kind yes. of thing. If you play exactly the same way and don't make it your own cards, I mean, cards against humanity has done it. I don't like the game all that much, but it's it's basically apples to apples for adults. It is exactly that. Yeah. But uh, I'm talking about something like Sorry and Parcheesi. They play a lot of alike, mm-hmm. and Sorry just is nowhere as good as Parcheesi is. Yeah. And so when you're not adding something to the game or the mechanism or however you're doing it, you're just straight up cloning it and saying, oh, we can get around this because you can't really copyright mechanisms. We'll yep. just put a, a slap on another thing on it, and it plays exactly the same. It just shoots in ladders in Candyland. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I'm going to bring up the the term that I always use for games like this, the magic butts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I know that's probably what you thought of when you were thinking of this, is, or at least one of them. Like, it we, was one, yeah. We I've used that term before, where immediately if you hear, it's like, oh, well, how does your two-player card game work? Well, it's like magic, but, but and then you immediately, no, I already know how to play magic. Why do I need... Yeah, if you're like, not adding something new, then why don't I just go play the original? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to play then, Sorry. I'll play Parcheesi. if you do play something new, like, what, what's, what's, even if it is new, it's like, okay, like this one, but it doesn't use mana. It uses dice instead. Cool. But I already have magic. Yeah. And that's not a big enough change. That is a clone as far as we're concerned. Yeah. And that's my, what I'm talking about here is just like. What do you make it your own? Like apples to yeah. apples and Cards Against Humanity is a big one that I talk, we talked about. It's just that Cards Against Humanity plays exactly like apples to apples, just adult theme. That's really it. And it's gross out humor and stuff like that. And I understand why it's popular. Yeah, it's silly. It's funny. Yeah, it's a party game. We yep. mentioned party games don't have to be good. But I don't find it fun. And I don't find apples to yeah. apples fun either. And they don't do anything in that realm. I actually have an apples to apple clone. I haven't played it yet. But I want to just because it's Deadpool theme. I, I felt bad. Actually, that Deadpool game is very different. Is it? Uh, from what I understand of when I bought it for you. But no, the, <laughs> the, no I actually I remember we were playing Cards Against Humanity with, with a bit, pretty big group. And, uh, and my sister, who's not a gamer... She she brought it out and she was like, Yeah, we're all gonna play cards against humanity. And I was like, eh, okay, I'll sit out. And they're like, What? You're you're a board gamer. Like this is right up your wheelhouse. I'm playing a board game with you. I'm like, Yeah, it's I don't know, I don't like it that much. She was like, What, are you too too good? Or like are you do you play all the good games? You're too good, fancy for this? Like what are you like a like a a prep for games, you know? Like it's it's like fine, I'll play you. But I was like, the reason I don't like it though is because it doesn't matter what you play. Like, you yeah. don't have choice. And I was like, and I will prove it. And so, and, and I w- and this was the only thing that uh, definitely definitely happened. Is uh, I was like, and I'll prove it. And then they brought it out, and I didn't tell anybody else what I was going to do. But every time we were all choosing our cards, I would look at my sister and shuffle my hand. And then look at it and pick one at random. <laughs> every single time. Guess who won? You did. You're darn right I did. <laughs> and guess who put as little effort as possible? You did. I did. It's just that that that's where it came down to it. I was and then uh, was, there was and that then one... she said she was like, I still had fun. But I see your point. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it doesn't matter. My thing is uh, apples that are <laughs> cards against humanity for mind you. 
I played a lot of it when I first got into gaming because sure. that's all some people wanted to play. Yeah. And it was it was huge when I first got into gaming. I think it was like 2014 when I started gaming. And it was one of the games that everybody wanted to play. And it, it's still very popular, but I just got to the point where we were just constantly playing it. I was like, I was done. I've only been playing games for six months just because we played it so much. Yeah. And there's only so much you can get with such dirty humor. I'm like, at least make the humor fun or smart. And here's here's why I don't like Cards Against Humanity. You see people play games like the like like gateway games as they're called or yeah. you know, introductory games. What what is it that I start calling out? Welcome to welcoming games. Welcoming games, yeah. And the idea of those is that it brings people into the hobby. And any game that brings people into the hobby is good, right? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. No, that, I don't that's good for the hobby. And so like people who grew up playing Monopoly, it's like, okay, well, let me show you Catan and then that becomes their new favorite game. Cool. cool Monopoly yeah, yeah, yeah. was your way in. How many people who are that obsessed with Cards Against Humanity that weren't gamers before are now gamers. gamers now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that there's that many. No. I'm lumping, I'm assuming, but how many people got into heavy and the Stefan Feld games and they're like, what was your first game? Cards Against Humanity. Yeah. Yeah. Like no. that's what brought me into the hobby. I don't I think, think I've heard that. Yeah, I think Cards Against Humanity really is just the college humor style game that yeah. people played in college while they were drinking and, you know, doing mm-hmm. all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I don't think they really got into, oh, I played Cards Against Humanity. Let me show you this game or stuff like that. Yeah. Because what are you going to show them? Apples to apples? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And apples to apples is fine. I actually prefer that. I and, prefer apples to apples over Cards Against Humanity. I... I I have literally not played that game since 2014, 2015, yeah. somewhere around there. I don't blame you. Um, and it was a game that was played a lot. Yeah, it was. And and I played the mess out of it, and I still own a copy because it was handmade. It's the only reason. But, um, yeah, and that leads into my next one is random. If a game, and you kind of brought that up, uh, if a game is so random that you don't have a choice in the game, I think that's a huge flaw in a game. Mm-hmm. I think that does make a game uh, bad, but I want to clarify this. I don't think random in a game is a bad thing. I think there are plenty of ways to do random well, and I'm going to clarify this later because this was a very interesting concept that, that our friend Jim explained to me because he was trying to pinpoint exactly what, what I meant by that. And, and he's, at first, the original theory was random makes a game bad. And I said, no, I don't think it does. And he was like, okay, do you think more random makes the game worse? I said, no, not necessarily. And he was like, well, let's do examples. And so the way, the way we agreed with it is that if you play war, you, if you play war that's entirely random, it's no fun, right? Yeah. It's a bad game. If you play, um, say, for example, uh, Candyland, also random game, yeah, not fun. But another game that is technically entirely random that I consider a good game, Yahtzee. It is technically entirely random. Except then, for it's random, but you get to make choices. You still get to make choices in a lot of games, right? And But you, you don't make choices as per the mechanisms. You True. make a choice as... After the random is allotted. Yeah. Because you, it does not matter. Like, you roll all five dice. Yes, you choose some to re-roll. Mm-hmm. Or you choose not to re-roll. Technically, right? But you have no way to control that outcome. It True. is entirely a random game. Yeah. There is no way to, to mitigate that random. 
but yet I think it's a good game because the choice you make is made after the random happens. And mm-hmm. so he brought this up. He said, he was like, well, it depends on when your choice versus the random is. So, for example, let's say we're playing Descent, right? Yeah. And I make the choice to move my piece into into the thing and then fight that monster. And then I am beholden to the random dice roll yeah. because I've already made my choice. That is fundamentally a worse game than if I make the random roll, then choose what to do with it. I can see that. You see what I mean? Like, and, and I'm noticing this in a lot of things. It's like, random in a game is fine. Like, shuffling up a deck of cards and dealing out the hand? Yeah, that's fine. So, my question to you then is that, because you said you liked Gloomhaven when you played it. Yes. It, it still has that randomness when it goes to the modifier cards. Yeah, it's a minor thing, though. Yeah, compared to the dice rolls? It's not yeah, much different. absolutely. Because in Gloomhaven, it's a modifier. It either adds one, adds two. Sometimes it'll either... Negate. Two, two times or, or negate, but it's very rare, right? Yeah. This, I'm talking like, if if I roll, if I get a game where I get, you know, uh, 10, 10 dice. Basically 10 pulling dice, a Bryce? Right? Yeah, if I get 10 <laughs> dice, right, and I have to roll a 5 or 6 on any die to hit... And I roll all ones. So I didn't have a choice in that. I didn't have any function. That's flawed. Yeah, my, I, I, my skill and all the effort that I put towards that random outcome didn't matter. Yeah. So um, uh, <laughs> I call it pulling a Bryce. I, I don't think you were in this game, but I was I playing so. um, Elder Tor with our mutual friend Bryce again, Gamehead Geek over on TikTok. And I know you, how you feel about Elder Tor. Uh, he had like ten dice or twelve dice, something like that. He rolled a bunch of dice because he had a lot of stuff that helped him uh, get a lot of dice. Like, mm-hmm. And he was even blessed. Yep. So out of 12 dice, you want to guess how many times he hit the monster? No. He hit it twice out of 12 dice. How did he get 12 dice in that game? Forgive me, I don't remember how... Uh, he had like a, like a shotgun and he had some other equipment that helped him get more dice as he was playing. See, um I would almost then I would think that the that the counter to that would be I make my attack roll and then based on that it's like wow I rolled really poorly do I want to make a choice to use my shotgun now which I know thematically doesn't make it makes sense, sense right? yeah it doesn't but then it's like, because right, the, roll two more dice I think the weapon that Older he was using force. gave him dice to his dice pool right exactly and so and then he that, had like a lucky something or another that gave him more dice and sure yeah but yeah but it's you see what I mean like, yeah, yeah I feel like. Games that allow you to make that choice afterward mm-hmm. to try and bump it up, um, I feel like is better. Uh, Hostage Negotiator is a is a solo game that does that. If okay, a five and a six is is a success, but if you roll a four, it's not a success. But you can discard two cards to make it a success, and that is a huge decision. If you roll, if you're trying to get three successes, you roll two of them and a four. Like man, these these cards are the only things I can use right now. Do I want to discard two of them to get to push that ahead? Yeah, that's a great choice. But I don't know. It's random in a game when it when the random <laughs> happens. Is, you want the choice after you do the random absolutely. rather than the beginning of the random. You think being able to mitigate and and deal with what you're dealt with randomly it is a sign of a good game. Okay, sounds good. So my next one goes along with what you were saying about okay. streamlining, and that's overcomplication. So this can make a game bad. I know some people like complicated games, and I'm not talking about games being complicated like 
what is it? What is that big one? The fifties diner kitchen. Uh, food chain magnet. Food chain magnet. Fine. Splatter games are really known for this. But what I'm talking about is like overcomplications when you're talking about like scoring or just making certain moves. And the one that just popped in my head for it when I mentioned it earlier was um, Founders of Gloomhaven. The scoring in that game is too complicated. Well, not too complicated, but there's an issue with it. And it, it makes it where people are not going to want to pull it to the table. We haven't pulled it to the table just nope. because it just looks too complicated with the way the scoring goes. Because just to confirm, you don't own a copyright. No, I don't. Because I sold mine. Yeah. So we're never going to get to the table. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to happen. And it's <laughs> been on sale and I could have bought it a couple times. But just from what I was reading and researching and when you were mm-hmm. looking at it and we were both going over it together, yep. the scoring is like, oh, this bounces off this, but this has to be built here and this has got to go there for you get your points off of this and it's just like why why is it got to be that? don't get me wrong i like isaac childress and i like his games but th- at this point it's just it's yeah it's intimidating uh credit Cross says it's almost intimidating and this this is what i'm talking about like over yeah, it's not almost it's it, very it's a, and it's another thing we're talking about like i know a lot of people love this game but root we haven't got it to the table just because of how asymmetric that game is makes it difficult for people to learn it because it's also difficult to teach because my characters are going to play completely different from your character, so you can't really tell me how to play, say, the fox. I have to learn it on my own, and if I'm a new gamer, it's intimidating. And so when you when you make these games too complicated, it's going to scare people off. Uh, another one that I uh, brought up is Alchemist. You remember that game from back in the day? Yeah. You had to have, have an app, and I'm not against uh, app integration. First, that was one of the first app-integrated games. And what did the app do? Uh, basically just converted stuff. Yeah, it kept the conversion charts together. Yeah, I mean, you could play the game without it, but it's not recommended because it kept the conversion in the scoring for you. You need yep. an app just to get your score and your conversion. That's it. Now, in the defense, there could be an additional player playing that who would just simply be the person who would answer, like, hey, what happens when these two combine? Oh, this... It's yeah, no, 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 I, I get that. But that that's not fun for them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I wouldn't overcom- wish that upon people. Yeah, you need an app just to make your game better. It's not the app enhancing the games like when we're talking about with yes. Mansions of Madness or Journeys to Middle-Earth where it's enhancing the game, making the game fun for you to play. This one literally just did the cleanup for you. It, well, but I, I like that. I think that falls into the streamlined category because functionally it could work without the app. It's just <laughs> not it's well just ridiculous. <laughs> but that's what not... I'm talking about, like with the overcomplication. Yeah, when you specifically right. just to play this game, you need the app to make it simpler for you. Then yes. it's not as streamlined as it really need to be, because how long is that app going to be supported? Yeah, no, it's a good point. And so when I'm talking about overcomplication, if you make the game too complicated, we talked about it with Fister. A lot of his, he's got a lot of rules in his games, not streamlined, a little complicated. I like the games, but it doesn't make it a good game. It yep. makes it fair and fine and maybe if i play it more i can understand it but over complication of a game just for the simple fact to be over complicated is going to be a detractor for a lot of people yeah cool um my next one is balance and what i mean by balance is i feel like uh in a game if every player was the same skill set they have they would each have the ability to try or to, to win yeah. And, and that goes into what we were saying about the the Loop and Louie. But at the same time, um, balance, I mean functionally in the game. Um, I don't think it's a good thing in a game when one person can pick up on a strategy that ends up being much better than uh, another strategy that you can take in the game. And so I don't think that's a good design. And a good example of that is Magic the Gathering. And 
in in my story that I'm gonna rant against. For those of you who have played Magic the Gathering and know what I'm and know what I'm talking about, I'm gonna throw in some some uh, card terms and some and some names of cards here in a minute. So otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, uh, if you don't know Magic, that's fine. Stick with me. You'll see what I mean. Yeah. So um, Magic the Gathering suffers from a balance issue where a number of years ago, probably about 15 years ago, I was playing and I had a pretty competitive deck. I had one where I'd compete in tournaments, get second, third place, you know, pretty, pretty obvious. Right? Yeah. And a person came in with a deck, actually 300 card deck and said, <laughs> Hey, you want to play? It's like, and that's allowed, you know, you can play with as many cards as you want minimum certain, certain number. Yeah. I said, sure. Yeah. Let's, let's give it a try. And, uh, and he was like, all right, do you want to go first or do you want me to? I said, okay, uh, sure, I'll go first. Draw my card, play forest, your turn. And then so he brought out a card. He said, okay. Uh, or before even the first turn, you you could do a thing called a mulligan. Yeah. Where basically you throw back your hand, reshuffle everything, draw a new hand, normally lower than the few. And so he mulliganed about three times. And that was on purpose because he needed the specific cards in his hand. So, okay, um... All right, well, yeah, sure, go ahead. And because I wanted him to have a chance, you know, yeah. and I had a decent deck. He pulled out uh, a swamp, tapped it, and did a dark ritual, which creates three black mana. Okay, nothing I haven't seen before. Then he plays uh, Entomb, where you search your discard pile, which or, you just or your draw deck for any card and put it in the discard pile. Cool. He put in a card called a World Gorger Dragon, okay, which I'll explain in a minute. Um, and then. He played a, game, a thing called an exhum, where it, it enchants a creature, basically brings them from the dead, and exhumes them and puts them into play. So he had this massive dragon in play. That's not that's not the problem. Not the fact that he had the first turn he brought in this big dragon, right? Yeah. Because I've seen that happen. You can have big creatures on the first turn. The part that was upsetting is the World Gorger Dragon has this very strange ability where when it comes into play... Everything else, everything else in the game that's out in play gets uh, gets exiled, which means you flip it face down and it's no longer part of the game for that time being. And it has this ability that says, when it enters play, exile all other permanents, and when it leaves play, they all come back. Okay, fine, right? Yeah. Well, so the enchantment that's enchanting him is no longer enchanting him because it was removed from play, right? That makes yeah. sense. So then he gets put in the discard pile, which means that it comes back. And same with his land. So then he taps the land, but then it brings the World Gorge Dragon back. And then he does it again. And it's an endless loop. Yeah. And then he plays one simple card that says, target player draws X number of cards. He says, you draw your deck, you lost. First turn win. It's crazy. That And that's not... I had a chance, technically. Yeah. Because I played my turn. I played a single card. The problem was, is that the game mechanisms in Magic the Gathering allowed that to happen. And that is a balance issue that I think makes that fundamentally a bad game. Now, in Wizards of the Coast's uh, defense, when they realized that was a thing, that was even before the set came out. <laughs> that was the first card to ever get banned Upon release. <laughs> the very first card. Because they didn't realize that it could break things that badly. Yeah. And a lot of the other cards, like Entombs, Exhumes, Dark Rituals, those are already banned. So, it's not even a big deal. But 
the fact that they made it functionally in the game that it can happen, that it can do that, and that somebody found this break in the system that completely breaks the game itself, and I think that makes functionally a bad game. And so that was Balance. Balance. All right. <laughs> Sorry, that's a long story for that. <laughs> I'm not bitter at all for 15 years later, you know? But right. no, I'm not. I Yeah. Oh, yeah. Creative Chaos, but exactly. Essentially, they hacked it. Yeah. yeah. And that game functionally allowed it to happen, so that's a misbalance, and I think that's a bad game at that point. So I'm actually going to make a switch here, and I, um, I'm going to switch my three and four. So my number f- now four is going to be balanced difficulty. Okay. And what I mean by that is you have to balance out the difficulty. You can't let a game be stupid tough. And you can't make a game too easy, especially when it comes to co-ops. Co- yeah, I was going to say. Uh, mainly mainly it's co-ops, but I'm okay. talking about like balanced difficulty. This way, uh, experienced players can still be able to play with uh, mm-hmm. new people as well. But it, this is mainly going into co-ops. Again, you can't make a co-op too easy because people are not going to want to play too much of it. Uh, case in point, keeping it sexy. That was yep. a very simple game. You know, we both played it and we're like, huh, all right, we're done. Yeah, it's the same <laughs> game every time. Yeah. yeah. And so, but you also don't want to make it too difficult. There's a reason why not a lot of people will touch ghost stories. It, it oh, is, yeah. it, it I, is I a ridiculous, like ridiculously tough game to play. I enjoy ghost stories for what it is, but it, it, it's tough. It's ridiculous. It's mostly you, you made ran, a, random after you make your choice. Yeah. Um, and you made a point about this a while ago about co-ops. A good co-op, on average, you can win it about 25% of the time. Yeah. Ghost stories, you'll probably win it about 5% of the time. Yeah, if that. And keeping it sexy, you'll probably win about 80% of the time or so. So you have to get that balance. You have to make the game where it's going to intrigue and let people play that puzzle and work together, especially in co-ops. But again, with the balancing of the difficulty for what I, what I really like about terraforming Mars, when I talk about balancing difficulty for a Euro is that I could make it, I could put a handicap on me while the other players get to play, like say a basic, um, Mm -hmm. basic, uh, what is it? Government or, um, corporation. Yeah. They can play basic corporation. So they get to keep all their cards. They get a set amount of money and they can go from there. Whereas with me, if I give myself a corporation, I put a handicap. Yeah, I probably might get more money, but then I have to pay for my cards uh, to begin the game. So it's a balance a balancing act to make it where anybody can play with anybody. And a lot of games do good things about it. Uh, Matt Leacock is famous for it with Pandemic. He makes it where you can actually make it more difficult for more experienced players or easier yep. for more experienced players, depending on how many cards By you put in including one or two more Epidemics. Yeah. Or Horrified does another thing about that. If you want to play easy, just play with two monsters. If you want to play hard, play with four monsters. Yep. Or, or normal, play with three monsters. So you can ramp it up. If you make that balance difficulty where everybody can work together and it's not too hard or too difficult, it's going to make the game fun. Yeah, I actually, I didn't think of this one, but you bring up a very solid point. And it, it wasn't just me that that came up with that statistic. I actually was brainstorming a cooperative game that I was designing, and I asked a, a, good, a friend of the podcast, Justin Dewitt, mm-hmm. who made who made one of what I think is one of the funnest cooperative games, Castle Panic. It's and a brilliant game. It, I, I think his game. There's less choice in it, but man, it's like it's so fun. I don't know. It has no right being as fun as it is, but I, I enjoy the mess out of that game, and because there's a lot of good options that you can do. 
And and I remember I was telling him about this game, and then he he saw me. And he's like, "Well, how often how often does an average player win?" I said, "About twenty five percent." He's like, "Okay, yeah, that's about that seems to be the right the right flavor." Because then you don't discourage the players to the point where they mm-hmm. just stop liking it because of how difficult it is. Ghost stories, and then yeah, like ghost stories. But then it's not just a walk in the park. You don't want it to be like, too simple. You want it to be where you're not winning all the time because then what's the point? Um, like for example, me and my kids, we were we just finished that whole campaign of Zombie Kids yeah. Evolution. We played it, I think, nineteen times total. We lost once. Again, that's also f- for playing with families and kids. So I sure. I, I get that. Yeah, no, yeah. I I I don't you want get to be what you're saying for kids. But yeah, I mean. I would have liked a little more challenge. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. And that's, that's the thing about, like, with uh, Gloomhaven, um, why I like it so much is because it's difficult. Uh, we're, we're Right now, playing it, we're stuck. We, yeah, we failed a mission. unattainable. Yeah, we failed a mission twice in a row just because how difficult it can be. Mm-hmm. You could scale it to make it easier or less difficult and yeah. stuff like that. But it was just – it was a pain in the butt. So we just like, you know what? Let's take a break from this one. Let's go play a different scenario that's still open to us that we can go do. And that's what we did. We ended up winning that one. And now when we play it again, we might go back to that other one because it, it's a storyline game or mm-hmm. a storyline part that we sure. keep it moving. But, yeah, it's it, it doesn't – it didn't make us upset. It sucked that we lost twice in a row to that same one. Yeah. But it allowed us to refresh, okay, let's go, but we still won the next scenario. And so, yeah, I think it's just the balance difficulty is important. Yeah. This is my this is my most fickle of all of these, <laughs> and this is what makes a bad game. Poor components. And our previous conversation about Summer Camp, love that game. It's hard for me to, to, to justify it until I sleep it. I, I don't want to play it again until I sleep it. Yeah, and, and I don't blame you on that. I don't want to spend money on sleeves. Yeah, and it's expensive because uh, here I could pull it right now, but I think it's like nine, a hundred ninety some odd cards or something like. that. Oh yeah, it's it's like hundred ninety something cards, and they're all there's a lot of good game in that. It's just they functionally didn't they made the cards. So it has a hundred ninety six activity cards, sixty four base cards. So right there tells me there's almost three hundred cards you yep. have to sleeve. Yep, three hundred sleeves. So that's almost the cost of the game itself. Because they they skimped out on the quality of that and and I and I don't mean like like some people think it's like oh well cardboard versus minis no I'm not saying that I'm saying when the quality of the components uh, just, gets has, in the way of the game Hasbro games just look at it a lot of hobby gamers don't want well, to touch Hasbro games one they're not great games but because of their yeah. quality too yeah the cards are very flimsy great yeah they're very very flimsy very flimsy and and it's a deck builder so you constantly shuffle yeah um, but like. Uh, some some examples, let's say, uh, I, you know, even Hasbro, like, I'm going to put that aside. Because, yeah, the components are kind of garbage, but you don't need them to be good. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're not, it doesn't matter. There, but there are games like uh, Nuclear War, for example, which I don't think is necessarily a good game in its first place. But there are examples of this where it has a spinner. Spinners are garbage, you know. Like, they're, fundamentally, they're bad. And if it's a slightly misbuilt spinner well then flick it and it goes and then it just stops wherever like whatever number it gets stuck on like that ruins the game yeah that's that's a fundamental component where the component quality itself can actually ruin it and and i'm gonna throw buffalo under the bus again because tetris (laughs) Tetris. does that i know they have a sticker on the back of it which makes sense on paper right you have a clear transparency uh sticker that sticks to the back of your tetris uh board 
And as you're dropping pieces, you're trying to align those pieces with the symbols behind it. Makes perfect sense functionally. Right? Yeah. Two problems. One, there's bubbles on the stickers. Not a big deal, but it's like, oh, that's kind of irksome. Secondly, those the colors that are on those symbols are the exact same color as the shapes themselves. And even though the shapes are transparent, the tetrominoes cover them up. You can no longer see them at that point. Mm. Thirdly, I don't know why they printed them this way, but the shapes are backwards on the sticker themselves. And here's the thing about Buffalo games. They're in Target, right? Yeah. So was Prospero Hall. And their games are around the same price with better quality. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Tetris is what, they, 20 They bucks? take that extra attention yeah. to detail. Uh, so let's let's just compare. Uh, you said Tetris, right? Mm-hmm. How much that cost you? Like twenty twenty five. I paid for Horrified. That was thirty thirty five. Yeah, thirty thirty five. It's still almost talking, twice ta- as much. Though. If we're talking about recent uh, Goonies, Goonies was a thirty five dollar game. Yes, it's almost twice as much. But guess what? I don't have to worry about the cards in that game. I don't no. have to worry about the pieces in that game. I don't have to worry about that that money that you're saying about for. Um, yeah, it's only twenty twenty five dollars at Target Buffalo Games, so yeah. it's almost double the price. Well, guess what? If you got a sleeve summer camp, you you're gonna pay that. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. double that price. Yeah, and then I don't have to worry about that with like, uh, little Goonies. S- small minor things like oh, in the Willy Wonka game that we talked about earlier. Yeah, there's two different coins. There's a one and a three. They're the exact same color and shape and size. You and so you actually have to look and see. Okay. And the like, it's it's gold with white font. And here's my so, thing. I mean, it's like it's small little things like that that can ruin the experience. There's the tools out there to help you with the when, especially when it comes to what you're talking about, because it's a colorblindness. There's tools out there that help you. Stone Myers talked about it all the time. They mm-hmm. use four different apps to work with colorblindness. Yep, four different apps. It's like how hard it is. The the guy who runs the board game revolution has talked to board gamers or uh, board game companies and says, "I'm willing to help you." Yes. For your colorblindness, mm-hmm. for your games, because he's colorblind as well, and it, it's it's. Is he really? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. And it's like you know, that. let's let's make it where everybody can play yes. the game. And if yeah, so component quality, I agree with you, is a big yeah. important thing. I don't have it on my list because it can make or break a game, but I'm not going to take yeah. points away from it because it, the game's like still good. If, Summer Camp is still game, a great game. If the game didn't have those those minor issues, the game would be better. But it's just I don't know, that that's tough for me because yeah, I, I, I feel that. like there are situations where that can happen. And what's funny about it is that you brought it up, and I'm usually the component guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's not even on my list. So the one that I ended up swapping with balanced difficulty originally my four, now mm-hmm. my three, is telling stories, and it goes with my number one later on. But we'll talk about it here. Is my choices are making me tell the story if. Like, there's the thing about storytelling games, too. I get why some people like them. It's because they're telling their story. But I still get to tell a story in a game. When I'm playing Everdell, it's my resource management, sending my workers out there to get me mm-hmm. those resources. This is how I'm getting my points, whether I win or lose. I'm telling my story. Mm-hmm. I'm making my choices to tell my story. And so making a good game and allowing me to do that is amazing. Uh, it, it's what we talk about when we go into the top eight debate. This is what leads to memorable moments. When I can make that smart choice that makes me go, that's right, I did this, and make mm-hmm. a stand-up moment, allowing me to tell my story in a game is very important to make a good game. Because if you're just telling the game story, you're not telling a good story. In Gloomhaven, it's a campaign game. Mm-hmm. I keep bringing this up, but it's a campaign game. But I'm still getting this to tell the story because I get to name my character and I get to make my choices in the game to tell my story how my character plays. 
get you into that role playing aspect, even in board games. And so for me, it's very important to still allow, even if it's just a slight bit of storytelling, you get to tell your story of how you played the game. Yeah. And uh, Creative Chaos actually brought up something that I'm going to explain something. It, she said, be all inclusive. And I think that's something that we haven't touched upon yet is like thematically you want to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like, and we've all heard the examples of like the, like, uh, oh, we're all going to go like as a team, go fight monsters. And you have the big uh, bulky brutish guy <laughs> with massive armor and, and he weighs like, 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 400 pounds of armor. And then and the then woman outside the woman is has a bikini. skimpy bikini. <laughs> yeah. You're like, that's my armor. No, it's not. <laughs> like, that's not inclusive. And then, or like, even like people of minorities <laughs> and stuff, like not including them as the games. Yeah. Like, it, like it, it doesn't have to, like, if you yeah. have pawns, then that's fine. But like, it's, but if you're having character depictions of it, I remember there was a. have no reason not to be There inclusive. was a big old stink about um, somebody making uh, 3D printed pieces for people in for disabilities like a wheelchair character for yeah. dungeons and dragons and people awesome. have an issue about it i was like that's great it yeah. allows people to be anybody could play dungeons and dragons and if Absolutely. they want to play a representation of themselves as someone disabled then yep. why not yeah there's no reason not to yeah yeah absolutely no i completely agree with that it's just it, that's something that i i know renegade is a big proponent of that mm-hmm. i give them a lot of props for that they are very much uh, inclusive like that. There's another company who made uh, Monarch. I, I forget their name off the top of my head, but Monarch. yeah, they they are they're a women led uh, board yeah, game yeah, yeah. company. I just can't remember what it's called. They they have a whole bunch of games that are specifically you know yeah. like they that is their business plan is to be inclusive, and I appreciate every bit of that. And the thing is, I sent you an article just recently about it where they were interviewing Elizabeth Hargrave, and she mm-hmm. she was talking about it like. She likes board gaming, but it got to the point where it's just fantasy games or this and that. Yep. And not a lot of women want to play that kind of style. That's why sure. she w- made Wingspan because it was something she was interested in. She was interested in being, yep. uh, bringing bird game birds into board games, and it's it's true. Not everybody is into the fantasy. The right. let's blow some stuff up, let's fight. They want to try different things, and so that's another reason why I like Wingspan so much is because. It's different. It's not yeah. the same thing over and right. over again. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I and I think that's a huge thing too. Is that it? It's really neat when they when they go that extra mile to be inclusive for just about anybody. And you know, colorblindness is one thing. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it's worth noting. Like Nyctophobia, that's a great example. Of that game. yeah, that is one of the most inclusive games. Why? Because one player or all of the players except for one can't see the board and, and not just that and that designer yeah. designed it for her blind uncle, uncle yeah who who couldn't see games but he wanted an experience oh. mm-hmm. and so she designed that game and which by the way female designer good job also <laughs> you know abandoned all our jokes female designer you know it like i love the fact that it's like we could talk about these games and and they are on par with everything else wingspan all those and and it, you don't know that it's a female designer and and it always it surprises me when, when uh, somebody actually, you know, they they like when they are surprised by that fact. It's like, oh wow, like this. Oh, this is made by by a female designer. It's like, yeah, it's not just a bunch of 
you know, old white guys anymore. Here's the thing about that too is uh, Elizabeth Hargrave talks about it. She keeps a rolling list of female designers because everybody mm-hmm. thought she was the only one out there. No, there's right. quite no, a few there's, out there. There's more. <laughs> yeah, there's quite just... a bit more. Um, there's one what, that... what, another thing I like about Wingspan is the only thing is Jamie Stegmeyer is the publisher. He's the only guy attached to that game. The the mm-hmm. illustrators are all women. Yep. The designer is all women. He just mm-hmm. helps with like play testing and yeah. you know publishing. He published it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he can't change that fact, you know, it's yeah. his company, right? But yeah, no, he the fact that he's that inclusive, it's it's brilliant. I'm off topic. But uh, yeah, because that wasn't even your number, what was it, two? Yeah, my my second last one that I wanted to talk about, and this is uh, my last negative one. And this is a huge thing that, that I think um, it takes people out of the, and this describes a bad game, is the eliminability. That, that's a word, right? Eliminability of a player. If a player can be eliminated from the game, then I think that makes it a bad game. And I don't mean like after a number of turns they get kicked or they get um, knocked out because they're the hidden trader and then they're found and then they still have like another ability. No, I mean like case in point, I really enjoyed this game. I want to give that disclaimer. It's called Nuclear War. It's an incredibly in- politically incorrect game, you know, but you're blowing up. Well, it was made during the time of progressive mad. 1965 is when it was Mutually assured destruction. Yes. And there are cards in it where you have like a whole deck of like population cards. And not every country starts the same because you're you're playing as a country. So you have all sorts of cards. And uh, there are cards called top secret cards where they just take effect immediately. And they affect either other players or they affect you. Well, one of the one of the mechanisms in the game is you draw your starting hand. And then starting with the starting player, you just play all of your top secret cards and refill your hand until they've all been played. Yep. You know, it's kind of like uh, like the go around the board once on Monopoly before anybody's allowed to purchase. Yeah. Which is just to, to make it so that way one person doesn't have a distinct advantage at the beginning. Yeah. It's technically chosen at random, which is just a really long, obnoxious way to do it. Mind you, Monopoly our, was also made, yeah. what, in the 30s? Yeah, exactly. One of our mutual friends played Nuclear War for the very first time. He sat down, he was excited to play it, and he played the top secret card, played the next one he drew, played the next one, and then lost all of his population and got eliminated before the first turn. Yeah, still sorry about that. I didn't mean to do that to you. <laughs> it happened. It wasn't me. Um, no, it, it was a friend of ours. And No, no, I know. We, I was the one that knocked it. him out. <laughs> we all laugh about it, but at the same time, that's not a good game. It's it can't you cannot consider that a good game where and this they, goes into our loop and loop yeah, argument when you don't even get the play when you a, don't a get to play the game and not yeah. even just that we didn't even do the first herd it no. was the setup of the game and it he got eliminated setup and he got eliminated from the game via setup that's the only game I've ever seen that ever happening and it was hilarious and amazing and everybody had a good time including yeah. the player who got eliminated it was at the shop when we did that it was at the shop and. Uh, and it was it was one of those stand up memorable moments, and it's been a running gag for many many years down the line. Ever yeah, since he won't happened. let me live it down either. He's like, no. you you eliminated me in nuclear war. I didn't have a choice in the matter. Yeah. No, it was uh, it was pretty rough. But yeah, that's that goes to show. I, I think that's functionally a bad game. Is that if you can effectively eliminate a player from being able to play in the game itself, then that's a flaw. 
All right, so this is my second to last one. It's probably going to be my more finicky one because we've discussed this before and you don't agree with me on certain aspects of it. But my number two is the rule book. If a rule book is not clear, concise, or can help you play or learn the game, it's going to take you out of it. My case in point, I a mutual friend of ours back the Batman Gotham Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And... It looked like a good game, and it, it probably is with all the, the rules that they had to fix. I think it's on its third version of the rule book now because of the issues from the first one. When we played it, we were looking up things, we were trying to figure out, and there was no way to do it. So we go to Board Game Geek just to get rule clarifications. They didn't have rule clarifications yet to the point where they had to make an errata, and then they had to make another and then they just made a whole new version of the rule book. And then they had to make a third version of said rule book. Mm-hmm. And if it's a bad rule book and it can't get you into a game or you can't find what's going on or how this is supposed to work or this to work. And, and it's not that we uh, skimmed over it or it's like one little section right. over here that you may have missed. It wasn't in the rule book at all. And people were asking this question left and right on Board Game Geek when this game came out. Yeah. It made a game that I thought would probably be like a six, seven, eight, maybe in my, my top, maybe even my top 10, mm-hmm. because I'm a huge Batman fan. And this looked like a great Batman game to the point where it became a three that's how much it took me out of the game. I didn't feel like I was playing Batman. I felt like I was trying to figure out what the heck's going on in this game. And a good rulebook does the complete opposite. If it's concise and teaches you the game well, it gets you into that game and have fun with it. Uh, Creative Chaos asks if, uh, yeah, one of my old streams, I think there was, and I think that might have actually been Founders of Gloomhaven. Yeah. <laughs> and there's another one right there. Yeah. It's, um, I, I completely disagree with you on this yeah, one. Yeah. And, and I get 100%. And it's not. I, I think the rulebook breaks the ability to get into the game, but I think if if the game mechanisms are solid to where you no know, if you have to read like a whole graph a whole novel to figure out the rules to functionally play the game, if the mechanisms are still there, it's still a good game. I, I just think that that's a poor implementation of how you learn it. That. And, and I, uh, and this I could agree. also be like uh, the person who teaches you the game. So let's not forget the power grid incident. <laughs> True, <laughs> uh, but but I don't think we can blame power grid for for me not explaining it well, which is a total inside joke at this point. But it's the same as components. Like it, yeah, yeah. It's, but that's you know, what I'm saying. Technically, it's, it's my subjective. It doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't break the game technically. Yeah, but it makes it that much harder to want to play it or to be able to play it. And that's why I said this is probably going to be my most argumentative one. But I think a, yeah. a good rule book is very important for a board now, game and make it good. Uh, if a rule book has a rule that is actually incorrect, that breaks things. Well, and there's like, another one. If they uh, don't Carpe do diem, I think had that. Or, or uh, you know, was... another one is I have the Century Golem editions, mm-hmm. and I think in the second or third one. They didn't translate it over for the century. Uh, I think it's the second one, the the pick up and deliver one. They didn't translate it over from for century golem. It's basically the same rule. So they'll mention ships instead of mine carts and stuff like that. So they're giving me the rule set for the regular century game rather oh. than golem, <laughs> which is fine. They play the same, but when you're reading through it, it's like what what is the ship? I don't see a ship here. I, yeah. It's because it's referencing the minecarts, and there was an issue with that I, as well. I want to say it was in Carpe Diem. There was, there was one game, and Rado 
the the board game reviewer, he toy them a new one because he found out that there was actually a translation error and the rule book had a rule wrong. So it was being taught differently in German than it was when it was translated to English. And he he said like he I loved hearing that rant. He was wholeheartedly that is unacceptable. You ruin the game mm-hmm. because that is now the rules that I have to play off of because of what you translated. It shouldn't be my problem to go to Well, to that's fix what I'm saying about like uh got uh batman gotham chronicles i had to go fix the rules we had to go look for it we couldn't find it anywhere to the point where three versions for one game right and see i don't know if uh but i don't and and correct me if i'm wrong but did the rule book actually teach you the game wrong or was it just so poorly written that it it was made it impossible it both It, it was poorly written it made it impossible but from what I read on the newest rule books and stuff like that, certain actions were supposed to trigger certain ways, and the river was supposed to because it uses the Conan system, the river system for the bad okay. guys, and so the river was supposed to trigger a certain way as well, and the rule book had it triggering a different way. Okay, then yes, then that absolutely because if you were playing it functionally with that, then yeah. yes, or like that, it, that it wouldn't even game. make mention of certain things like uh, if this range item can do this, or if it can go through here, or like. Could you, since you're on an elevated area, could it go down into the street? Right. Could it hit a thug that's over here? It didn't clarify what you could do. So we weren't sure how a certain thing would work. Yeah. And so that's what I mean about like a rule book and this my, why it's my example. This thing didn't tell us how half the game worked properly or we couldn't find reference of it or uh, or, or some of the iconography. There's yes. iconography in the game. I couldn't figure out what the iconography meant because they didn't give you a player aid or it was right. in the rule book. I'm going to give another example of one of my one of my all-time favorite like little card games that actually did that and it did it wrong. The rulebook explained it correctly, but there was a reference card. Mm-hmm. It's Dead Man's Draw is the name of the game. Yeah, yeah, which I know you're not a fan of, but I, I think it's a fantastic little game. But the first time, uh, what happened? There was actually an error in the reference card that said something completely contradictory to what the rules said, and it was it was indeed a typo. And it, if you played it that way, it wouldn't make any sense in the first place because it was like steal a card from another player into the discard. It's like, well, what does that mean? Why steal he, it yeah. into the discard. Like, do you put it in the discard or do you take it from the discard? Like, steal it in. And that's a typo. It meant steal from another player and put it into your score pile. Yeah. And so much to the point where they got so much backlash for it, they had to reprint that reference card. And so in the second edition of the game, they reprinted it with a fixed card. However... They fixed that typo, but they this card had uh, 10 card abilities on one side, 10 on the other, and that's you just flip it over to read each of the references. They, they fixed the typo, but they printed that same on both sides <laughs> and thus didn't have a reference card for half of the cards. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like the oops again, it, you know, and, and fine, it was a minor thing, and the rules did explain it correctly. But if the rules says it wrong, then yeah, that breaks that breaks game. Um, I'm going to end with my last one being a positive note, okay. and that I feel is uh, the the game's ability to give you or to let you showcase your choices and your skills, like effectively. Mm-hmm. Like uh, chess is a perfect example. I think is a fundamentally good game. Yeah. I don't think there's any argument that people think it's like, oh, chess is a broken game. No, it's not. Chess it's, is just boring. 
It's just really boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fine. But I, I will not say chess is a bad game because I think functionally it is a very good game. But here's game. the thing. The, you and me both saw, saw, watched uh, Shut Up and Sit Down when he's talking about the history of gaming. It, is chess really a game nowadays? Because it's a variant of a different game. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, he, he, he actually argued uh, Go. And the guys from Shut Up and Sit Down talked about... I think we've referenced almost every board game podcast on this. <laughs> anyway, Rodney Smith of Watch It Play. So, no. Um, we... Yeah, no, like, Go is a game of pure strategy. It is yeah. absolutely brilliant the way Go works. And and you can outplay another player by outplaying them legitimately. Like, I am showcasing my skills and my ability to understand and play Go... Uh, I will win. And I think that makes it a good game. Yeah. And like a game that we like, like uh, Stefan Feld Trajan, like there's a lot of opportunities to you where you can make your choices and say, okay, well, I see you're going for this. So I'm going to start going for the goods. Yeah. I see a good opportunity in those ship tokens. Let's do that. But at the same time, I don't want this to go away. And I want to start getting these buildings to get extra actions because yeah. of how my tokens on my Trajan board work. That's brilliant. I think that... Is a great showcase, but then also on the flip side of it, let's take a silly game. Yeah. Ice cool, you know, you flick little penguins across the thing. Have you've seen all like the videos of like the skill shots of the people like? Oh yeah, doing those, I, like, I mentioned this guy on TikTok earlier. Him. Yeah. Plumpy Thimble. This guy or Plumpy Thimble can do the best trick shots I've ever seen. Yeah. Where he can go from like the the he's got to hit the hall monitor or, yes. or uh, be the hall monitor and hit a player mm-hmm. and so they'll be on this room and instead of going through that door he literally goes across all five door four doors yeah. and then comes back and hits them I'm just sitting there like I can't even make it go through the door when I want it to <laughs> right. and, and to explain it for the our listeners uh ice cool if you haven't seen it it's it's a game that's made up of a bunch of boxes that have like little holes in them for doors mm-hmm. and it's this huge box uh room thing and, but all of your pieces are penguins that are like a half sphere on the bottom and they're heavy. Mm-hmm. And then the top half of it is kind of like a thin penguin. And so it kind of wobbles. Like, yeah. It like a, stays what is upright. it? The wobble weevils or something yeah, like that weevils, where it's weighted yeah. at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And so you flick it and there's ways to jump it. There's ways to add spin to it. And, and the game is designed that way to where you can functionally like flick these around with ridiculous accuracy and skill. Yeah. And that game, I think, is functionally a really good game because it allows you to showcase your ability to to utilize your skills or the choices. Like in something like a heavy Euro game, it allows you to, to do that. And even something like a more immersive, like uh, Mansions of Madness, I think would be more on the lines of a good game because you, by understanding the lore and getting immersed into the game and showing your skills of like what you already understand of the lore... Yeah, and, and of like what you think you understand about horror games or whatever, mm-hmm. you can utilize that past knowledge to excel in it in yeah. a new way. I think that's a sign of a good game. Cool. And so, what is that topic, or what is it? Oh, that one uh, choices and or the ability to showcase choices, choices and skills, and skills. <laughs> which I'm peeking at your paper. <laughs> so my number one is not. As skilled as yours, but my number one is another one of our top eight debate topics, and that's meaningful choice. Yeah. What 
And what I mean by that is to make a good game, it lets me drive the game by my choices. And again, it goes with the storytelling. I'm telling my story by my choices. If I go, uh, if it came down just too mechanistic, is the game driving the game or am I driving the game? Am I making the choices to win the game? In a sense. And so that for me is very important. If again, we talked about it earlier, if I'm beholden by lock and draws and dice rolls and stuff like that, is it really a good game? Am I making a choice? Do I have ways of mitigating said choices and stuff like that? So for me, meaningful choice, um, it's very important for a game to have that because I'm not being driven by the game per se. Mm-hmm. I'm driving the game. I'm making the choices to come in last place or first place. I'm, am I making smart choices or bad yep. choices? It doesn't mean the game is bad. I'm just not making the smart choices in the game. And for me personally, I don't win a lot of games because I like being the chaos variant. I see, ooh, let me try this and see what happens. And sometimes I win and sometimes I lose. But I am driving that choice by making these where not a lot of people would like to go. They're like, okay, I see this point. This is the way I'm going to win the game. This is what I'm going to do. I'm like, ooh, what does this do? Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of thing. But I'm making that choice. So it gives me that choice uh, to do for me to drive my story. That's interesting. I, You know, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I really like the way you said that. that because you're, you're still actively making the choice. Like, I know that I'm not going to win. Yeah. But I'm going to try this because it sounds fun. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter whether I win. I want to see if it's possible. And you're you're trying to go full Loki on it as, as one of the terms. It, for yeah, blood for rage. Blood Rage. Yeah, it, so that's that's intriguing, yeah. Be- and it's important. Uh, meaningful choice. This is the reason why it's also one of our things in the top eight debate. And because one of our biggest argued ones, yeah, too. Because you have to drive the game yourself. If the game, or uh, case in point... Monopoly, you don't really have a lot of choices in the game. No. You can auction or buy dealing something. Dealing is the only choice. Yeah, you, you you roll your dice, you land where you land. There's that. That's really all your choices. Whereas if I'm playing a game like Catan, we mentioned another one here. I still get to make a choice. I can make the choice to work with you, bid, trade, however I want to do it, mm-hmm. where I want to build my stuff, uh, buildings, or claim uh, areas where I can get resources and stuff like that. That's all choices I drive the game. Whether I do good choices or not, I'm still driving the game. The game's not driving me like Monopoly. Yeah. Very good. Well, so that was our discussion on... Hopefully that wasn't too much to take in. I mean, we're only at two minutes and five seconds... Or two hours and five minutes. Four minutes? minutes. Yeah. You know, it's standard for our podcast nowadays. But, uh, yeah, we hope you enjoyed what what you listened to. Hopefully this gave you some ideas. Uh, Aspiring designers, hopefully this gave you some ideas of what to look for. Yeah, what gamers are looking for. And uh, even if you're just a gamer, hopefully now this will help you find the next game you enjoy because of what you know you already like and what what parts of this you know what to avoid and or look for. Yeah, exactly. And and if you're just new to gaming itself, it tells you where you should look. Is the game driving me or am I driving the game? What to look for. And and also the games to avoid because we really tore into some games this time around. We did. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> not, not really, but sorry. Yeah. yeah. But it was a good you one. You had it coming. Yeah. It, 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 it was bound to happen. I, I trashed some of my favorite games of all time. So <laughs> nobody's nobody's innocent here, you know. Like, also want to make mention of the fact that we're coming up close to our 100th recorded episode. So mm-hmm. we're going to have to do something special for that. Yeah, and we already have some ideas that we're going to be talking about soon. That's so very true. Stay tuned for that. Yeah, we have big plan for that. 
we want to thank you so much for tuning in. Creative Chaos, thank you as always for being one of our regulars. We always appreciate your comments. Um, and yeah, we want to thank everybody who provided comments on Facebook at the yeah. Board Game Revolution Forum. Um, always great discussion on that. And, yeah. uh, and go check out the topic that we did. If you have a Facebook, go join the group. They're awesome people. And then see what the next people will say. Uh, yeah. I'm sure there's going to be more discussion on it as well. Um, as always, you know, we want to thank you for tuning in. If you want to tune in live, like Creative Chaos did, join us at twitch.tv slash everyday board games, and you can join us on a live episode. As well as you can find all video re-uploads found on YouTube at Everyday Board Games 2020. And if you like what we do, there are three things you can do to help us grow on that platform. Subscribe if you're not. Like this video and comment down below and tell us your thoughts on the subject matter. And if you ever wanna if you ever want to just say hello or reach us directly, maybe give us an idea for a future episode, anything along those lines, email us at everydayboardgames2020 at gmail.com. As well as you can also find all audio versions found on most podcast platforms under Everyday Board Games Podcast. This includes Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, and Podbean. And you can also get in contact with us on our official Twitter account, at EBG Podcast. I have been using it more recently by posting pictures of games that we've played, and I'm trying to be more open on that one, as well as we may be starting a TikTok here pretty soon. Mm, tune in. <laughs> tune in for TikTok. That's a lot of T and K. Yep. <laughs> we want to thank you for tuning in. As always, I've been your host, Daniel. And I've been your host, Daniel. And we want to thank you for listening to me hitting the mic and listening to Everyday Board Games. And remember, every day is a good day for board games. <laughs>